But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 Three six seven five. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is common sense. strikes, what's your first impulse? If your answer is run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot Supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-417290. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up to 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290. Or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Southern Sense. And you know you put a dash in the middle, 
southern-sense.com and click on the icon for My Patriot Food. Well, if you want to insist, you can still go to 888-441-7290 or go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. All right, and welcome to another adventure here on Southern Sense. You're listening live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, half a dozen other places like iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, Facebook, YouTube. I'll just go to the name of the show. Put it dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the least mostest, the radio ticketee, Annie, along with my debonair and erudite co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Curtis, good afternoon. All right. <laughs> We're in How for a wacky you? day. Ooh, I'm not as ever. As ever. Mm. We have a lot yeah, this, this on might our be, page. Might be this one might of those be Twilight what? Zone days. One of those Twilight <laughs> Zone days. It's I mean, I, like I heard the audio at first and then it just disappeared. You know, it's like, and you know me and I mean, you sound checked it before we went on air. Wow. Yeah. It's just, just I don't know. I have no idea. I, I give up trying. Uh, we will very soon migrate off of this and do everything through um, complete all video. It'll be a video podcast. Um, if I do anything on BTR, all they'll do is they'll be secondary. I'm just going to get off the whole thing. Uh, I'm working on that one. I got my second computer back from the repair shop. So it'll take a little time to get it all set up and working, and we will have a brand new inauguration date when we do come around to that point in time. It's taking Good. time. I apologize, but it's it's not as easy as some people think um, because we do uh, broadcast to multiple platforms. So I want to make sure everything – and no, it's not going to be Zoom. You'll actually go to my webpage and – you can interact directly on my web page. So no more going through BTR, logging in or anything. And uh, I'll have a chat up there. Everything will be all set up on my page. Um, so today's show is, are you woke yet? You woke yet? Oh, man, good Lord. I mean, what's going on between Marjorie Taylor Greene and um, AOC, uh, the hissy contest, um, Lisa Stefanik has been now elected as the um, GOP uh, committee chair or whatever you want to call conference chair. Uh, so Liz Cheney is out. Now, you got to watch that because as I understand it, as she is raided by the NRA and some other organization, she is actually to the left of Cheney. The only thing that has put her there is the fact she endorsed and supported Trump. She did not do a Cheney and become an anti Anti, the, the teeth and backwards, anti-Trumper. Uh, anyway, we have a lot. We've got Drew Allen, uh, who will be our first guest. He is a actor, author, speaker, screenwriter. Uh, he has a weekly blog. He'll be joining us. He's got a new book out also that we'll be uh, talking about. Uh, then we're going to have my friend Tom DeWeese. He's with the American Policy Center. He was one of the first ones that rang the bell on Agenda 21, the U.S. UN project, which is now, I think, is called Agenda 2030. Uh, it's a new name for it. Uh, <laughs> he'll be joining us. A.J. Swinson will be coming back. She's the chief of staff at New Journey PAC, uh, which was put together by Bo Snidley, uh, Rush Limbaugh's, uh, what do you call it, uh, sidekick. 
And then, of course, my buddy from the Heritage Foundation, I just love saying this guy's name. It's just so lyrical. Hans von Spakovsky. Uh, he'll be joining us at the end of the show. So we're action-packed and a lot to go and talk about. But, whew, holy cow. I mean, some of the, the stuff, Curtis, that we'll be talking about uh, – <laughs> Between the hissy contest between AOC and Marjorie Taylor Greene, it started off where she challenged AOC to a debate, and she went running after her after a session of con- Congress, uh, yelling to her, you know, shouting out to her, calling out to her, really should say, um, AOC, what are you going to debate me? And AOC just kind of like flipped her off, <laughs> and then... Then comes the really hissy contest because then AOC turns around and hits back saying uh, she claims that these are the kind of people I threw out of bars. Now, can you imagine AOC as a bartender? And as I understand, the bar she was in wasn't legally licensed to be a bar. and She wasn't much of a really? bartender. Yeah, it didn't have a, a, law, a, a legal license. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, she, she had a run-in with our friend Ted Yoho. And yeah, um, yeah. she accused them yeah. of certain things, saying things, and it, it was untrue. Right. So can you imagine, you know, here you are, you're a big, burly guy, or you're a hick from the sticks, and you're you're cutting it up inside a bar. Can you imagine her trying to throw you out? I mean, I sneeze and I'd blow this girl over. I'd love to see her no, try to throw me out of the bar. <laughs> I mean, Another she looks like she's a pint-sized woman. She doesn't look all yeah. that big. Oh, man. Oh, just, oh, well. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on. We've got to get this, this show on the road here. Uh, on the serious side, um, those that listen to our show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to Sergeant William Rautigam, I, I probably just mispronounced that, try that again, Rautigam of the New York City Police Department. His end of watch was Sunday, January 31st of 2021. He passed away because of 9-11, having worked at Ground Zero almost 20 years, nine, oh, close to 19 and a half years after 9-11, um, he died from cancer. And this is from his obituary. William Brautigam of Stony Point, New York, died Sunday, January 31st, 2021, after a courageous battle with colon cancer. He died at home, surrounded by his family. He was 47 years old. William was born in the Bronx on August 28, 1973. Bill began his career with the NYPD on January 2nd, 2001. While he was in the police academy, the recruits were mobilized to help after the terrorist attacks on 9-11. During his career, he was assigned to various units as a police officer. Over his career, he received numerous medals for excellent police work. Bill loved cars, sports, fishing, and being near water of all types, our pool and the ocean. Anyone that knew Bill knew that he had a heart of gold, always worked hard and put his family first. The love he had for his boys was tremendous. He is survived by his wife of 18 years, Susan, 
and his two boys, Kevin and Billy. He also leaves behind his mother, Mary, sisters Marianne, Donna, and Christine, and Aunt Roseanne, mother-in-law Susan Schreihofer, and sister-in-laws Patty Brown and Gretchen Malatetano, as well as numerous nieces and nephews and cousins. He is predeceased by his father, William Brautigam Sr., and his father-in-law, Gilbert Schreihofer. And this is from Case Guard. On Sunday, January 31st, 2021, New York authorities were saddened to announce yet another victim of a 9-11 terrorist attack. Sergeant William Brattigan, age 47, died due to colon cancer associated with the cleanup, search, and recovery efforts at the World Trade Center site. At age 27, still a young officer, Brattigan was one of the hundreds of officers who chose to run into a dangerous situation to help rescue as many lives as they could, putting their own lives at risk. Due to their actions, thousands of lives were saved. As a result of chemicals and building materials released into the air, even today, 20 years later, those same victims and rescuers are suffering and dying as a result of their exposure. Brattigan was a new graduate of the police academy and had just joined the force at the time of the 9-11 attack. He was assigned as a patrol officer in the 33rd Precinct at the start of his career. He then moved to the patrol borough Manhattan North. His hard work and dedication earned him a place with the Vice Enforcement Division and a detective shield. He continued working while fighting his cancer. He was moved to the Narcotics Bureau in Manhattan North before being returned to the 33rd Precinct where he was given the distinction of sergeant. On the morning of September 11, 2001, terrorist hijackers working for Al-Qaeda and led by Osama bin Laden crashed four hijacked planes. The hijackers used the aircraft to crash into the World Trade Center towers in New York, the Pentagon in Arlington, Virginia, and a field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. On that morning... 72 officers from eight local, state, and federal agencies were killed trying to rescue victims. A total of 19 terrorist militants orchestrated the attacks on the United States. Nearly 3,000 individuals were killed during the attack. The number of losses continues to rise as many first responders were exposed to carcinogens and chemicals in the air while working to rescue others. Sergeant Brattigan is the latest victim of the attack, more than 20 years later. After the first impact in the World Trade Center's North Tower, many first responders reacted, putting other safety before their own. Law enforcement, fire departments, and EMS personnel rushed into the burning Twin Towers to help lead victims to safety. It is because of their quick actions that more than 25,000 individuals were saved. More than 500 first responders, survivors, and residents of Manhattan have died from 9-11-related illnesses in the 19 years since the attacks. A member of the New York's finest police officer sergeant, William Brautigan, 
served his career with the New York City Police Department. The department has a long history dating back to when it was first established as a municipal police department in 1845. It wasn't long after that that the city's mayor, William Havenmeyer, coined the still well-loved phrase, New York City's finest. The finest men and women of the NYPD have many ways to give back to the community outside their regular police duties. They are affiliated with both the New York City Police Foundation and the New York City Police Museum. In 1971, the foundation was brought about by officers, civic leaders, and the business community. The idea was to become an additional resource to enforce and strengthen the department and improve public safety. This organization, the New York's finest, set an example for cities all across the United States. One of the most outstanding achievements of working directly with the community through this foundation was establishing the Real-Time Crime Center. This top-notch technology advanced center gives the NYPD details to identify crime patterns and stop new crimes from reoccurring. No matter the cause behind it, anytime we lose a first responder, we lose an essential part of our community. Harder yet, the family left to pick up the pieces of life and struggle to move on. Sergeant William Brattigan leaves behind his wife and two children. Many residents in New York and local law enforcement came forward, expressing their undying gratitude for his sacrifice. On that day, more than 25,000 individual lives were saved. New York City Police Commissioner Dermot Shea announced the loss of Sergeant Brattigan and shared his grief. William was a member of the 9-11 class of our academy. When the attacks occurred just two months later, William, like thousands of his classmates and colleagues throughout the department, answered the call. Now, nearly 20 years later, after that horrific time in our nation's history, his strength continues to lead us. We vow to never forget him or his immense sacrifice. Sergeant William Braddock your end of tour. Stand down. A job well done. We dedicate the show to him. We also dedicate it to all the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We also dedicate it to the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into its future. And we dedicate to them this song, by Todd Allen Herndon. My name is America. May God bless each and every one. Born in the grip of oppression. I fought for my liberty I paid with the blood of my people Freedom has never been free Now my door's always open To dreamers and friends When I'm attacked I 
they believe in the virtues I stand for, my respect for humanity. Now I'm challenged by tyrants who envy my power, but their vicious deeds become my finest Live to Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> I forgot the name of the show. Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio. SHR Media up at iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, a uh, half a dozen other places. Just go to the uh, webpage, put a dash in the middle, southern com. Curtis, I'm losing my mind today. I really am. <laughs> Just... <laughs> hey, you're allowed to. You're allowed to. This is Friday, the end of the week. Oh, geez, it is, it is. And you know what? Um, The one good thing I could say about this current administration, they never leave us without something to talk about. Every single day, something new happens, and it just gets zanier and zanier. And sometimes you just simply can't make some of this stuff up. It just is getting so crazy. I, I swear. Yeah, I think... I think they're in a rush to get as much done as possible in the two years they have before the midterms, because I think they know America is going to reject um, their agenda and it'll show in the midterms. So I think it's like go for for everything for as much as we can get, even if it's on a daily basis. Well, it's not only that, it's the woke people out there. You know, the uh, Major League Baseball in New York said that they're opening up the stadiums for the public to attend the games. Yay. But they're going to segregate people. They're going to have one section for those who have not been vaccinated and another section for those that have been vaccinated. Isn't that so wonderful? 
Ah, that that is just so wonderful. So now, all right, Major League Baseball is open. Uh, People get encouraged to get their vaccinations. I know. Uh, But isn't that against the HIPAA Act? Because now you have to give to someone who is not one of your medical uh, 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 care officials. It's not your doctor. It's not your nurse. It's not your psychiatrist. It's, it's not someone who should need to know about your medical history. They legally cannot ask you or make you present anything. You can volunteer it if you choose. That's your choice. But they cannot ask you and make you divulge that information. It's against the HIPAA Act. Every time you go to a doctor's office, they have you sign the form that you have been uh, advised of your rights under the HIPAA Act, and they cannot disclose any information about you unless you give them express permission. So now, Major League Baseball wants to segregate based upon whether or not you've had the vaccine. So the New York Yankees went out and got vaccinated, and Bill Maher got one out and got vaccinated. Guess who tested positive for COVID after getting vaccinated? Bill Maher and the New York Yankees. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) So what's the point? The whole team? I don't know if it's the whole team. They just they just put out this notice: vaccinated New York Yankees and Bill Maher tested positive for COVID. Uh, this is something that when we call our guest and we're going to talk to him about. <laughs> so, mm. Meanwhile, Biden last night said, "Get vaccinated or wear a mask until you do." And Fauci said yesterday, "If you have been vaccinated or if you have already had COVID, you don't need to wear a mask." You don't need to socially distance yourself. Well, Bill Maher got vaccinated, but he got COVID. So, you know, <laughs> it, just, it just doesn't get any zanier than this. Well, it, I see it, it from really a, another angle. I see it from another angle, too. Um, <laughs> segregation is in the DNA of the Democrat parties and their history. So that <laughs> there's nothing new to them segregating people. <laughs> in their DNA. <laughs> Jim Crow 2.0. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Just a modern yeah, day that... version. <laughs> gotta, excuse me. I got an itch on my nose. It's driving me crazy. Uh, so pardon me on that one. Uh, but uh, it's... It, people have gone so nuts. And I have been hearing the numbers are varying. Anywhere between five to 600 people have died from the vaccine. That should be concerning. I mean, it would not be concerning if it was like maybe one or two people, but that many, that is highly, highly unusual. And I think this might be, yes, it is. Well, let's bring on first time to the show. Want to welcome board Drew Thomas Allen. He is a conservative actor, author, screenwriter, speaker, blogger, man about town, and one heck of a good-looking guy. If I was 40 years younger, oh boy, watch out. But anyway, welcome aboard to Southern Sense, Drew Allen. Good afternoon, Drew. How are you doing? I'm doing well. What an introduction. Thank you so much. I'm flattered. <laughs> you know what? You're wondering, what did my agent sign me up for? Get me out of here quick. <laughs> 
Hey, this is this is the best one yet. I, I I love getting praise. You know, I haven't even said anything Marxist to get that from CNN. You're just giving it to me. Thank you. <laughs> well, I figured I can get away with it because I have been reading your book called Uncommon Sense, addressed to the citizens of America on the urgent subjects of our present tyranny and civil war. And you even have a warning on the cover. And I love reading my guest's books because it gives me a heads up on what type of voice I'm going to be listening to. And sometimes you have someone that ghostwrites, but then there's people where I hear your voice coming through the book. I mean, Judge Janine is like that. You know she wrote her book because it's her voice coming off those pages. But your book is a great read, and you had me cracking up at certain points of the way you make descriptions. And you describe the situation that we have gotten ourselves into so succinctly. Well, I appreciate that. You know, it's it's you know, I, I liken it to being more of a pamphlet, you know, it's uh you know, it's not, not a super long read, but it's emotional, you know, because I, I wrote it in really I, I wrote it in three weeks, you know, uh, you know, going in you know, in, in the twenty twenty election there and I just had enough, you know, and, and the lockdowns with COVID and everything else and you know, that was kind of that was my introduction or enlistment into the ranks of this ideological army. Uh, of conservatives who are trying to fight for this country. And so I'm all in. Uh, Now, we were talking about wokeness, which is now the title of our show, which is You Woke Yet? And um, I I was having fun watching the tiff between Marjorie Taylor Greene, love that woman, and AOC. And Marjorie Taylor Greene has been trying to get her into a debate and AOC, what an airhead she is. Now, I at one point, I attended bar. I attended bar in a Marine Corps club. You know, you got to be tough. I could not even imagine her threatening to throw someone out like of the bar at like Marjorie Taylor Greene. That's not a cat fight. That is a bull going after the China in the China shop. And AOC is a glass dish. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, absolutely, absolutely. All these, all these uh, Democrats are tough talkers, but they, you know, hide, betwi- hide be- behind their propagandist media, their Twitter accounts, and everything else. And you're right, she is an airhead, and it seems to be a prerequisite to joining the Democrat Party these days to have an IQ somewhere <laughs> in the twenty to thirty range. Oh man, it, it is, and with Talib and that, that whole crowd, and you just shake your head and go. What were these people thinking when they actually voted for these people? Not only that, they voted for them for a second term. So, you know, they wonder why I fled New York. (laughs) We have a saying down here in South Carolina, we don't give a damn how you did it up north. (laughs) And that's the way you better vote. That's that's amazing. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's what, what we all need to be. You know, we can't, you know, they're like locusts now. You know, they're fleeing California, New York, all these other broken states. And then they vote for the same thing that they're complaining about and fleeing to begin with. It's amazing. It's like it's like the the founding fathers and all those people who fled totalitarian uh, regimes in Britain and elsewhere throughout Europe uh, coming to get, uh, you know, freedom to practice their own religion, coming here and voting against having the freedom of religion. It's uh, it's really mesmerizing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um Bill Maher made a big thing about getting vaccinated. And recently, Major League Baseball in New York said, we're going to open the stadiums back up again, but we're going to segregate you. We're going to have one section for those that are vaccinated and one section for those that are not vaccinated. And lo and behold, guess who tested positive after getting vaccinated? 
as I understand it, as I'm seeing reports of seven New York Yankees have contracted COVID, as well as Bill Maher. Now, this is just not insane. No, it's it's absolutely fundamentally insane. Uh, but you know, we have to be weary and watchful about these uh, reports because uh, nothing is reported about whether it's. Uh, you know, the HBO host, Bill Maher, or somebody else without having an agenda. So, you know, the CDC is now giving people permission, which, no thanks, you know, I'll do what I want anyway, giving people permission, if you're vaccinated, to take off your mask in outdoor settings and most indoor settings, they say. But now what's the narrative going to be after this Bill Maher thing? Where are they going to push this? Are they going to start saying and actually admitting that the vaccines uh, aren't as effective as uh, we, we were being led to believe as a uh, agenda item to then keep us shut down again? I mean, these people were all petty tyrants. They've really, really enjoyed themselves over the last year because, uh, you know, the fear of death became a useful uh, to willingly give up their unalienable rights. You know, it's it's funny because, you know, our our governor here, McMaster's, had lifted the mask mandate. And, you know, they're telling them the municipalities cannot impose it. He's saying, I'm overriding the local towns and cities, which is great. So, you know, I've been walking into the stores around me without any mask on at all. Now, I'm someone who can't, I cannot wear a mask. I get sick from it. Um, so I have a shield, but even then I am limited in how much time I could wear it. So it's, to me, it's like fully liberating to be able to walk into some place without having to wear the stupid thing. And you can't hear what the person is saying to you when you're talking to the clerk. You know, it's, I, I, I just, I'm so glad that this phase is finally starting to come to an end. You know, do you think we're ever going to be back to normal at all? If there is a normal anymore? Not if. Well, not if the Democrats have their way, um, because I live in California, and here, you know, people are, are sheep. I actually ordered a coffee the other day, um, and I had my mask down below my nose, and I was refused service. And <laughs> she told me I was threatening, I was threatening her life uh, by, if, by not pulling my mask up, and she would not serve me coffee if I didn't comply. And I said, I'm not going to comply. So this is a hill I'm willing to die on. You know, you sound like the Gestapo. This is absurd. I could sit down at this table that's uh, six inches behind me and take my mask off and that's okay. But standing up, you're not going to serve me a coffee. I said, well, someone get me a coffee. And some guy who was on the team uh, of freedom and I just, I just walked out. But this was coming on the heels of my visit. My first foray out of California in the last year, I went out to Montana. I, I passed through Idaho and Montana. And while I was in Montana, I didn't wear a mask uh, on a single occurrence. And no one said anything to me. Uh, I didn't die. Um, and <laughs> it was liberating. That's what, that's what brings up the story to me. You, you mentioned how liberating it felt. And the mask mandates aren't really about health. Uh, you know, ha- having that, that freedom out there, um, you know, it's not that my lungs were just filled with oxygen for the first time as opposed to carbon dioxide, uh, but it was freedom itself, uh, you know, to, be, to put it poetically, that was coming in. And, and the problem is for me is that you now have a generation of young children and, 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 uh, that are growing up under this totalitarianism that don't know what freedom is. And, you know, my point is that, look, the reason this country was born is because the founding fathers had experienced and tasted the rot of totalitarianism. Then they came to the you know, now United States, and they experienced freedom. And so delightful 
was the taste of freedom that they were determined never again to taste the rot of totalitarianism, and they were willing to fight for it. But what's happening in our country now when you have all these people who that's all they've experienced? You know, think about it. You know, it was only 200 and almost 50 years ago that this nation was born. But until the great American experiment took place, uh, thousands of years was simply life under despotism, kings and so on and so forth. So it took thousands of years to get to a point where people were finally willing to embrace this new idea of rights coming from our creator and not from man. But now we're going backwards so fast. Uh, you know, Reagan said freedom's only a generation away from extinction. Well, this is the generation that has to actually step up or it's going to uh, disintegrate before our eyes. And people aren't going to fight for freedom if they've never had it. Well, you know, look what they're doing. They're, make, they're making everyone so weak. That, or is, um, uh, what's his name calls it? The pussification of manhood. You know, you have now these CIA commercials that are so awoke for recruiting and the army commercial that is so woke for recruiting. If you're in the army, you're there to kill. You're there to destroy. <laughs> you don't care if the buddy who's got your back next to you is gay or not. Just shoot and aim that weapon di- straight directly and don't hit me in the back, you know? You, you, that that's, that's right. the point of the army. To, to defend this nation, but instead you now have where you have transgenders who can't go out into the fields of battle battle because they need their daily hormones. They need to be near some medical facility in case they have problems with their transitioning. So they're not field ready. So what is the point of being in the army or any other military service if you can't fight? I, I don't understand. That's it. exactly right. Well, and it's and it's repulsive. You know, I don't care. You know, my, my wife is a traditional feminist in the sense that, you know, she believes she should be able to do what she wants to do, uh, you know, within also our biological limits. Right. So, you know, I have a problem with uh, a culture that is happy to send uh, women uh, into enemy gunfire. Uh, that's not a society I want to live in. Uh, there's a reason men fight battles. And uh, I, I love women. I don't want women to get shot in the front the head, whatever else, and perish in battle. That's a fight I want to take. I don't want women doing that for me. I don't care what the left says. But, you know, to your point about this wokeness, it's not just that we're attracting uh, people who are weak individuals who are also now not going to assimilate into a culture to acknowledge and accept the only role that they have, which is patriotism and fighting for a cause that's greater than themselves. Uh, You also are going to have immense corruption. If you look at what's happened over the last decades, Everywhere, whether it's government, as we saw during the Trump administration with Comey and Brennan and these corrupt people at the top, uh, whether you look at our schools and universities being indoctrinated, uh, you know, indoctrinating our our young youth uh, and and minds, um, this is what the future is of the CIA. And this is a problem because look what the FBI did with the top, right? They committed atrocities in terms of uh, violating constitutional uh, duties. They are no longer uh, crimes, finding crimes and then looking for the criminal. They're just looking at people and trying to find the crime. And this is the dangerous part about what the wokeness is. It's attracting an ideological leftist Marxist uh, to the CIA. So now you're going to have a CIA that's 100 percent populated by people who are willing to do things that are unconstitutional. There will be no resistance, and it won't matter what if we got back to White House or anything else because, uh, you know, they'll do the bidding of the left. There'll be resistance. Curtis, well, you're, you're right about that. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, you're right about that. Um, our educational system is um, popping out a lot of little Marxists and socialists. But what I want to comment on was the fact that you were right uh, when it comes to going into businesses and, and places where people are going to tell you, you know, you can't come in here unless you have a mask on. Um, I live in Florida, and on the, I think it was like near the beginning of the pandemic last year, I was in St. Augustine, and I went into a shop um, on St. George Street. It was an ice cream parlor. I was the only one in there, and the people that served were like behind the counter, and I didn't have a mask on, and they told me I couldn't come in. Well, I said, well, what happened to social distancing? You know, I'm the only one in here. Oh, it doesn't matter. You still can't come in here. And, you know, to a degree, some of that goes on. But fortunately, we have a governor here who see right through all of this. And um, a lot of people, we don't wear the mask if we don't want to. And the businesses, they don't they don't enforce it. You know, they want to get paid, you know. Now, I have recently discovered a lot of businesses telling me that they can only operate for like a half a day or so or whatever because they can't find the people to work because they're making all this money staying home, collecting unemployment and whatever else they get, you know, as a government handout. So I, I can see how this is going to depress the middle class, especially businesses, mom and pop businesses, because right now they're not surviving because they don't have people to, to you know, work for them. And then probably by the time the government, you know, decides to give up on these um, handouts, the businesses will be out of business and these folks won't have a job. So they, in one swoop, they then wiped out the middle class and they maintain uh, a dependent, you know, class. That's where I, I see it. What about you? Well, you're, you're 100% right. Uh, and, and all I would add to that right now is just that um, – that's a scary prospect. It's true about what's happening, but what's insidious is that it's by design. So uh, the left in this country is doing all of this um, to eliminate and eradicate the middle class, uh, just like we've seen in other regimes um, throughout history, whether they're in Eastern Europe or Venezuela. Um, and they want to create a new class of just victims, people who are dependent on government, which is antithetical to the message of Americanism, our founding documents, and the wisdom of our founding fathers. And so they want dependency on the government, uh, and they want totalitarian rule in this country. And unfortunately, so many young people uh, can't see through that. Isn't it the most bizarre thing? What I can never wrap my head around, you you know, you don't want your parents telling you what to do. You know, you want to turn 18 so you can get out under the roof (laughs) and live your life and, and, and earn a living for yourself. And yet when government comes in and tries to control your life, people look at these government people like they're angels. It's, it's so bewildering to me that people put all their faith in the hands of some elected officials who are going to tell them, you know, uh, how much toilet paper they can use. It's, it's, it's amazing. Well, the way yeah, I it, see it is that they, they haven't come through things like the – Kennedy assassination, Martin Luther King, or even Watergate, where people are not trusting the government that came through that period. You know, these folks are only know what they're taught, and that's very little. 
It is. And you know what I liken it to today, which is fascinating, I think, because when you you brought up earlier people having uh, basically segregated sections of ballparks and things where you have vaccinated and unvaccinated, what's different about the discrimination happening against conservatives and people who don't want to wear masks or who are unvaccinated and what happened in the civil rights movement? This is what disgusts me. You know, this this country fought so hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what we need now is Rosa Parks. You know, uh, to, you know, with the like I think about Rosa Parks, right? You know, millions of Americans were new segregation was inherently disgusting and reprehensible. And they they wanted to do what Rosa Parks did, but they didn't have the courage. Rosa Parks in 1955 refused to give up her seat to a white man on a bus and her courage sparked a revolution. And then black Americans did sit ins civil disobedience in white restaurants. And the whole nation looked at this and finally said, this is outrageous. And we passed the Civil Rights Act in 1964. But now we're regressing back towards that. It's not the color of your skin now. It's just the ideology in your mind. And uh, this is so atrocious to me. And, you know, all this race baiting and everything else, if we would just look at each other like Americans, uh, we would solve our problem in a day. Well, you know, it's funny because I did two things here in the county that I live in. I have to take my husband every day to the hospital for an injection, and he was going for a test, and I wear the face shield, and I had no problem ever since I went to the doctor last September going in and out of the hospital wearing the shield. This one day, this guard gave me a hard time and made me leave. Meanwhile, my husband is scheduled for surgery. I have him there. He's there for his last test just before the surgery, and I'm forced to leave. Well, after I calmed down, I wrote a letter to the chief surgeon and to the CEO of the hospital. Within less than 24 hours of them receiving the letter, it made it not even 48 hours after I posted it, that doctor was on the phone with me apologizing profusely and telling me that the guard was wrong and they have instituted new instructions and new training on how to handle people like me and to allow us free free use of the entire facility. I then went to the county council meeting because they were looking to extend the mask mandate. And it's up on YouTube on my page. And I ended up with an applause. And when I walked out of the county council meeting, I didn't know there was a protest going on outside. The second my hand hit the door, that crowd of about 25 people or more were cheering me. And consequently, the mask mandate the window. Once it went out on the county window, all the surrounding towns dropped. And then following that, the governor dropped the mandate statewide. It takes one voice. Just one voice yep. to speak up, to have the courage to face them down. And the problem God is, bless we you got for that. There's your Rosa Parks moment. <laughs> yeah. We got generations coming back that saying, oh, no, don't worry about it. The government will take care of it. Trust us. You don't need to do anything or lift a finger. So now you get Section 8 housing, food stamps, um, free college, uh, free Obama phone, free housing, you get welfare, Social Security, disability, or whatever it is, the checks will just keep on coming in. You just stay home and we'll take care of you. Just keep voting for us. That's the whole point of it. It's to keep the left in power. That's exactly the point. Uh, They are incentivizing um, the worst aspects of mankind. Victimhood, laziness, a rejection of responsibility, 
this is what they're breeding and creating. You know, I, I said when, when COVID happened, uh, undeniably, it, 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 it was real and people died. Uh, but the greatest uh, pandemic sweeping across this country uh, was not COVID, but um, tyranny and coming straight from the left in this country. And that's really the plague that's bringing us to our knees. It's not COVID. It's this indoctrination. And, you know, it is a cancer in this nation. And it's affecting, uh, you know, tens of millions of Americans. And unfortunately, Republicans have been uh, useless for decades in fighting back. And the problem is it's now, you know, metastasized towards in, in all of our institutions and bureaucracies. And if we don't start to fight back, it's going to be too late. Well, they've, we have tried to start to fight back. We had the Tea Party movement that formed back in 2009, the beginning of 2009. But because government said, hey, listen, um, you want to have this, you know, you can make yourselves a 501c3, and that way you can collect funds, blah, 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 support candidates, whatever you got to do, whatever. And a lot of the Tea Parties fell into that trap. Thankfully, mine didn't. We had several meetings, and I kept saying, no, the second you register with the IRS, they now have a weapon to use against us. And that is exactly what we did. If people remember, uh, Joe Dugan, Diane Hardy, and, uh, oh, geez, I can see her face. Three friends of mine testified before Congress about being harassed by the IRS because they were Tea Party 501c3s. My group stayed un unincorporated, were listed as a loose group of friends that meet monthly. And we yeah, we have rallies and we have meetings and we do things, but the government can't touch us because we're not registered as an official group. So we have been functioning for 12 years, and we have made changes within our county. We have to get people to start forming again, whether or not they're behind Donald Trump or Tea Party or Red State or whatever. They have to start to band again together. But don't let the government get a hold on you. That's the important part. It, it is. And that's uh, one. That's a great point to bring up, because what's happening today uh, began really uh, well long ago, but especially under the Obama administration. And now it's just gotten so much worse. Always out organizes uh, conservatives. You know, they are running for election every day that they wake up and trying to destroy this country. We decide to fight every two or four years when there's an election, and that's why we're getting beaten time and time again. Uh, you know, they wake up living and breathing um, their uh, Marxist philosophy and studying rules for radicals by Saul Alinsky and trying to figure out how to, you know, create revolution and destroy this country. Uh, and we're busy working and taking care of our families and uh, doing things that Americans are supposed to be able to do. But unfortunately, sacrifice is going to be required by every freedom-loving American now. And people aren't being asked to run into gunfire like happened during the Civil War or in the American Revolution or uh, World War II. Uh, they're just being civil asked right to era. be uncomfortable. Civil, exactly, exactly. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know. You let me know what you think, but I think that's an important um, analogy to make because – uh, you know, segregation and these things, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that that was taking place. And we saw with Martin Luther King Jr. and these other great civil rights advocates the way forward. And, you know, what's the worst that happens when you don't go in an establishment with a mask on? Somebody calls you a racist? I mean, I, I don't know. Call me a racist. I, I really don't care at this point. 
you know, I'm fortunate because ever since we've dropped the mask mandate, I got to the point where I just leave the shield in the backseat of the car if I end up having to take my husband to the hospital and go in with him. But I'm walking anywhere and everywhere without the mask on, and no one has challenged me. Now, our county is divided by a river, so I'm north end of the county, and the county GOP chair is south. And he was speaking to me today, and he goes, I, after the mask mandate dropped, he went into a store, and everyone was giving me a dirty look. I said, that's because you're on the south side of the river, and that's where all the Yankees go when they move here. We're on the north side. They don't want anything to do with us. I says, you're on the wrong side of the river. But that it is. You can tell the political ideology in a geographical area by something as simple as that. It is. It is. You can tell it very quickly by how they respond to mass and things like that, which is unbelievable and, and sad. Uh, and it's a damning statement about where we are as a nation. But, you know, I was rereading um, George Washington's farewell address. Uh, I think it was in 1797. And, um, you know, he warned against everything that's, that's you know, come to, to pass now. Uh, you know, back then there weren't factions and he warned against them. He, he said, look, you know, you guys, Americans are united. Um, forget your geographical locations because you're all Americans. Patriotism is so important and everyone should be proud to be American. And, you know, he said the formation of factions basically lead to uh, allegiance to a party over country. And that's going to be the downfall. And that's what we're seeing today. Um, You know, there's really no need for any of this. If we just pledged our allegiance and our sacred honor and lives to, to follow and abide by the rule of law in this country, which is the Constitution. And that would solve the problem. But unfortunately, with the media and the proliferation of lies and deceit these days, um, you know, people are digging their, their heels in on an extreme side, and they're forgetting about what's important. You know, like in church, if a preacher starts preaching outside of the Bible, uh, he's not right because he's a preacher. You don't need him to tell you what the Bible says. You can read it for yourself. The same is true in America today. We can look and read with our own eyes what the Constitution says. It doesn't matter if a Democrat says something or a Republican says something. Uh, you know, there's not some intermediary between us and our rights, but that's what's happened today. Uh, uh, you know, politicians have taken that authority, and it's not theirs. Yeah, hmm. because they said it, that makes it true. No. Do your homework. And that's the problem here. We've got a disposable society. Everyone is so disposable. You know, it's it's single-use underwear or whatever. You've got your smart device where you can look up anything on Wikipedia, which may or may not be correct. But it's such a disposable society, and we are now no longer doing the intimate socialization we used to do. When you wanted to talk to your friend, you walked next door to the house, knocked on the door, went in, and sat down and chatted. But now, no, 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 it's like 14 characters or less. Uh, you send a quick text message or you do a little Facebook time. No, we've got to get away from the idea of disposable society and become the social animal that God created. Yeah. You're right. And there's, 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 you know, the additional point about this social media and things like that is that uh, it also appeals to the worst of human nature because uh, people will say what's untrue, what's wrong, and what's unprincipled if it gets them a pat on the back. So, you know, we're not doing things based on principle. We're doing them because of attention, uh, because of vanity. Uh, Look at Liz Cheney and people like that. You know, how can a quote-unquote Republican basically sound exactly like Nancy Pelosi? It's stunning. 
but she loves going on CNN. She loves the attention she's getting, and uh, she doesn't care if it destroys the country because, you know, she'll make money it's off all, of it. Uh, she'll, yeah. It's all about power. Yeah. It is. And I was going to say, you mentioned allegiance. Um, there, the school system is so pathetic now that children are not even required to, you know, say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag or anything. So I'm wondering, you know, who's going to defend this country, you know, decades from now, you know, when you got people who are being raised and taught to hate their own country. That's a uh, amazing point. And it's, you know, that's why our death will be by suicide. If by anything, it won't be necessarily just foreign invasion or whatever else, just like Lincoln said, Uh, you know, if, 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 you know, this nation disappears, uh, it'll be because of suicide. And that's the truth, right? I mean, if you're indoctrinating young Americans uh, who are now getting older to hate the country, it's inherently racist and this and that. I mean, you don't have a chance at all. I mean, can you imagine thinking about your family that way under your own roof? You know, I hate my last name. My grandfather did this. So, you know, you just mired in victimhood. And uh, it, it's, it's sick and it's dangerous. I mean, really, we're living in a new dark age. You know, reason has been replaced by uh, nonsense. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's frightening. You know, I, I, I just, you know, my heart breaks. I mean, I'm not, I'm not giving up the fight at all. I'm 34. I got plenty of energy. I'll, I'll do it till my last <laughs> breath. But, uh, but, it, but it's sad when I hear older Americans who are in their 70s or even in their 80s, and they, they say to me, I'm so thankful I'm, I'm the age I am because I won't have to be here, um, you know, to see what happens in this country. And that, 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 that makes me want to cry, to be honest, because um, how sad is that? And uh, but it is it is another generation's uh, time to step up and uh, and do what's necessary to uh, get the message out and defend this country, because, you know, I'll say over my dead body, uh, will I be the generation that watches uh, freedom be extinguished? Well, God bless you for that, because you know, you're looking at the attacks that we have on the military, on police, where we cannot even hire police anymore because no one wants to do the job. Thank God I was doing it at a time where we were Fairly appreciated. I still got spat at. I still got called all different names. But what these guys are going through today, oh, my goodness. And you're seeing them being ambushed and slaughtered, assassinated. And this is this is the popular thing to do with the progressives. You know, what they've done to Portland, to New York City. Now, New York City tried to defund the police, and now de Blasio is doing it about Facebook. Maybe it wasn't such a good idea. You think? You think? So, yeah. Drew, uh, Drew, how can people find you? So, uh, if they're on Twitter, they can find me at Drew Thomas Allen. And then I post all the stuff that gets posted elsewhere, AM Greatness and whatnot, at uh, DrewThomasAllen.com. And you, they can get your book there on your website as well as Amazon called Uncommon Sense, addressed to the citizens of America on the urgent subjects of our present tyranny and civil war. Drew, you got to come back and come back often. Hey, God bless both of you. Uh, I really appreciate the time, and I'll come back anytime. All right. And we didn't even get through half of what I put aside for you because I wanted to have you talk about Biden because he is a walking gaff. But next time. Next time. Unfortunately, there's no shortage of topics. <laughs> Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Well, God bless we you for the hard work you do. And I'm telling everyone to go out and get your book because it is a really good read. And it opens up a lot of people's eyes. Thank you so much. It's an honor.
All right. Take God care, bless. Please. All right. Check out Drew Allen, uh, DrewThomasAllen.com. We got our next guest on. I haven't seen this gentleman in person in five years. Last time was at the South Carolina Tea Party Coalition up in Myrtle Beach. Welcome back, Tom. Miss you, buddy. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it's good, very good to be with you. I appreciate it. Oh, you're always fun to be with us. Uh, you have an organization you formed, good Lord, I don't remember how long ago. Was that back, what, 89 or something like that? Uh, called yeah, the somewhere American in that, in Policy that, Center? Yeah, American Policy no. Center. Yeah, we started back in the <laughs> late 80s and uh, been going strong. And we're we're actually growing now and getting stronger. So I think that's a good sign. <laughs> Well, you have been an activist, and you knew about Agenda 21 long before anyone else even heard of it. And now the U.N. has repackaged it as part of the Green New Deal, and now they call it, what, Agenda 2030? Uh, And it looks like they're really starting to push this even harder. i got to tell you, when Newt Gingrich was running in 2012, um, he was doing a rally in my county, and, of course, I was the one that had the stage. So, of course, I got to do a one-on-one with Newt Gingrich. And we were sitting down, a bunch of us that were Tea Party people, and we started talking about Agenda 21. You know what? I My jaw re- nearly hit the floor when he said, what's Agenda 21? This is the Speaker yeah. of the House. He's running for President of the United States, and he had no idea what Agenda 21 was. And we had to school him. And, boy, did we school him. Well, you schooled him well because uh, I believe it was not too long after that that I got a call from his staff saying, we keep hearing about Agenda 21 and we keep being told to call Tom DeWeese. And they did, and I told him. <laughs> and the next thing I knew, he went on, uh, uh, maybe it was one of the um, debates or something. Anyway, he, he made a comment about Agenda 21 after that was done. So. You guys got the pressure on him. They called me, and I told him the facts, and <laughs> that's what happened. Well, I, so, yeah. I was sitting there when someone said that to him. Uh, yeah, because she had been at uh, one of the Tea Party uh, conventions uh, with me, and I think she may have seen me interviewing you, and she may have spoken to you, I think, at the time. I know she got your book. And you've got – how many books do you have now? I you have three, three books out now, yeah, uh-huh. And the yeah. new one is Erase? Well, actually, uh, Erase is the middle one. My my first one was called Now Tell Me I Was Wrong uh, because I'd written a, all these articles for all the years and, and was told I was crazy. And then it was starting to come out and people were starting to figure it out. And uh, so I wrote that book. And then uh, Erase is a, um, uh, is a novel, actually, fiction novel, but there's nothing fiction in it. And the interesting thing about it is that uh, it's starting to get a resurgence because so much of what I wrote in the plot of that book is happening now. And people are writing me saying, how did you know? <laughs> and so it's starting to come out again. And uh, the newest one uh, is called Sustainable, the War on Free Enterprise, Private Property, and Individuals. And uh, it's doing quite well as well. Well, I've... I've- Got a link to uh, American Policy Center where people can find out about these books uh, on the web page so they can click on it as they're listening to us uh, and get one of your books. Um, what, what does exactly American Policy Center do? What is the purpose of your group? Because you started off with one idea with the Agenda 21, but you've expanded it in so many different directions. 
Well, actually, we, we started out really working on a whole bunch of issues, like uh, I was heavily involved in the, uh, the fight to save our education system when Clinton became president and put in school to work, Goals 2000, Workforce Development Boards. We were doing everything we could to stop that. And I was also working on trying to protect our personal privacy and, and stop a surveillance society. And uh, so we were doing all that. And I started seeing all of this environmental stuff come up. And I started asking the question, what about the property rights of those people, that, you know, these suffering under these regulations? And that's when I, you know, began to switch into that, uh, protecting your property rights. And then in 92, uh, Agenda 21 came out, and I became one of the probably four people that were really pushing, you know, to get people to understand what this was all about. When they, when they put together Agenda 21 uh, at the UN, they said that it was the comprehensive blueprint for the reorganization of human society. And I thought that is just an amazing statement, and it's exactly what it is, and we're seeing this happen now. So what we do at the American Policy Center, first of all, we're educational. We're trying to get people to you know, know what all these things are, and, and we've been you know, pushing those out in our, in our website uh, at AmericanPolicy.org. We've got an incredible archive of articles there. I, was, I dug down in the other day, clear back to the beginning, and I, I looked at it and I said, wow, we were talking about all this stuff then. Uh, the other thing we're doing is uh, we're activists, and we are trying to train activists, especially on the local level, uh, how to fight back. People are uh, so concerned today, like never before, and they say, what do we do? What do we do? And we, I've known for, for decades that working on the local level is the most effective thing we can do because, quite frankly, they're pushing these policies into place at the local level. Uh, yes, there's stuff coming down from Congress and, and so forth, but, but, but the, it's at the local level where they're really making them effective and uh, affecting all the people across the country. And so that's what we're doing right now is training uh, people, we're, we've we've done a series of webinars. We got more coming up. I've got some of the best people around the country I bring on to to talk about what they're doing or talk about the different issues and how we can fight back. That's the main thing. How do we fight back? What do we do? How do we organize? We got 75 million people who are as mad as they can be right now, having felt they were you know stolen uh, their what they wanted in this election, and they want to know what to do. And they've never been involved. A lot of them have been involved, never been involved in, uh, you know, activism. And so you can't just send them out and say, well, do this, because they're intimidated by it. They don't know. You stand there in front of a city councilman and start to speak in front of the meeting and that sort of thing. You've got to know what to do, how to get there, and how to be effective. And so that's what we're really focusing on are those, those new people, how to get them involved, how to keep them involved, and, uh, and make them effective. So that's what we're up to. Well, I was on your website poking around, and you've got an activist handbook. Um, now, it, it required a password to get the handbook. I just couldn't understand how to sign up to do that because I did sign up for the newsletter, which I have been getting for years, um, but I didn't understand. Is there a certain way to contact you so that you can end up getting a handbook? Actually, I mean, you can purchase the handbook on the page, uh, and – the way we've set it up, and we did this on purpose this way, um, the, what, what you need the password for is we've got a second entity to it called the toolkit. 
and uh, when you buy the pass or buy the uh, the um, workbook, then you get the the password comes with it to to get in ah. there. And the the reason we did it that way, um, the you know when you when you publish a book, it's pretty much in concrete. There it is. But as time goes by, new information comes, new uh, tactics, new people involved. Uh, you know, all kinds of new information. And so we set up the toolkit so that we had a place to put all of these uh, new things happening to keep everything up to date with with the most. And one of the things I'm working on right now in there is uh, trying to put in a list uh, state by state of other uh, local organizations, local activists, and so forth. That uh, is somebody who are always getting calls now, saying, "What do I do? How do I get started?" And it is so much easier if you've already got kind of an established group and uh, working on these things, and that you can say, "Okay, call so and so in your city or your state, and they can uh, get you started." And so that's what we're working on to try to you know, spread that around and, and, and get people active because uh, I can't do it for them, you know, for everybody across mm-hmm. the country, well, you know. I hope, I hope you put me down there with the Buford Tea Party here in South Carolina. <laughs> but you know what well, I'm thinking is I'm, I'm going to see the county chair tomorrow uh, because we have our state uh, convention and I'm one of the delegates. I think this is the fourth or fifth time I've, I'm doing that. Um so I'm going to see if he can come down and or if you can come down here and talk to our county GOP because they're trying – they're doing organizations, but some of the stuff you have may help push them even further because you know, they work to make sure that Trump carried our county, which was tantamount to helping carry the state, uh, even though the left stole the election with the Dominion machines – that's another story. <laughs> right. Well, one of the things that, that uh, people like that need to understand, I mean, yeah, they're organizing there and so forth. They've got to know the issues of what they're up against, what's, what's the root of it, who are the people behind it, how they're pushing it. And what a lot of them don't really understand, uh, you know, when we elect, say, for example, a new uh, uh, city council or a county commission board, and we get good guys, you know, they, 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 they seem to understand, they want to be people who are helping in the community and so forth, and people are astounded, maybe six months to a year after they're in office, they seem to change, and, and they say, well, why yeah. is that? They're starting to promote all these different policies. What people don't understand is those five or six people that are standing there as your elected officials are no longer just your government. There's a shadow government behind them. These non-governmental organizations that helped write Agenda 21 at the international level, uh, they are all over Congress. They are, I mean, they've got millions and millions of dollars. They've got thousands. There's thousands of these NGO organizations, and they surround your local officials and and one of the first things that we do when we elect new people is we send them off to national organizations the national league of cities the national conference of mayors the uh, national governors association we send them to these meetings and speaking from the podium at those meetings are these same ngos hey here's the latest project here's what we're doing in this community that community got sample legislation for you right here and uh take it home with you and then they get home and they're met by local representatives of these same organizations. Did you get that sample legislation? Hey, we got it all right here in a box for you. Got the money for you, too. It's a federal grant. 
And step by step, this is how they do it. Well, eventually, these guys that we elected to office begin to think this is the legitimate uh, way, you know, form of government. That's because everybody's doing it, and they will tell you that. Well, I've never heard what you're saying about being against this. Everybody else I've talked to is doing it, and that's how they ignore us. That's how these programs get in place, and uh, people aren't even aware of, of, of that. That's the way it's happening. You know, you're striking so many chords because I have been locking horns with local government since I ever moved since I moved here uh, over one thing or or another issue. And um, my local councilman, I called one day because I was driving through an intersection near my house and I saw surveyors out there. So I pick up the phone and I had him on speed dial and I said, Paul, what's going on at such and such intersection? And I said, what, what are they doing there? He goes, oh, we're surveying it to put up a traffic circle. I said, Paul, I've been asking you to put up a traffic light for I don't know how long because it is a dangerous intersection. But how much is this traffic circle costing us? He said, oh, $6 million. Meanwhile, a traffic light can cost anywhere between ten to 20000 and then minimum maintenance to keep it going. Mm-hmm. And in the case of a hurricane, you can easily you know, reverse traffic. You know, the cop in me sees that, you know, having to handle traffic. And I said, what if well, you can't reverse traffic on a traffic circle? And it's going to cause a congestion during a hurricane. Oh, no, we use them out in Hilton Head, and Europe uses them all the time. No big deal. Well, those traffic circles are accidents waiting to happen. But it's costing $6 million. All right, Paul, where's that money coming from? He goes, oh, don't worry. The state is paying for it. Uh wasn't that a WTF moment? Who gives the state money to do these projects? Yeah, it's still coming out of the same damn pocket. Yeah, it's spread out a little bit more, of course, the state, but it's still my money. You crazy? Oh, don't yeah, worry about it. The go. state's paying for it. Oh, don't worry yeah. about it. The federal government's doing it. Well, the, the very fact that he gave you those examples about, well, they do it in Europe, we're doing it here and there, he was told that by these NGOs. That's part of what yeah. they begin to hear from everywhere. And uh, so, I mean, every single one of those projects, whether it's the, the uh, traffic circles or bike lanes or regulations on what kind of building materials you can use or the smart growth programs and all that, every one of those plans have an NGO that's an expert at it. They know exactly how to pre- present it, and they know what uh, grants to uh, to go after that's going to pay for that. And, uh, and, they, and like I said, they said, it's all right, all right here in a box. The, these guys, there are thousands of these organizations. You've got the American Planning Association, and they come in all sorts of names, the American Planning Association, or there's a Renaissance Planning Association. Or they're all the same. And every local community has one. Every uh, local community has uh, an environmental group of some kind. You'll have the Sierra yep. Club, the Nature Conservancy, and those guys. But um, there are other ones that are the more local land use groups, things like that, pushing conservation easements. And, uh, you know, everything is – and what you're seeing, this is, this is what really brings it all down here to everything else we're talking about. Uh, they started out – talking about we need to protect the environment and then it became climate change and what we're seeing now we've gone through the whole covid lockdown and everything is taking place there now we're seeing that you know what what did we what did they tell us when they locked us all down with covid we've got to flatten the curve 
now these environmental groups are rising up saying we've got to flatten the climate curve and they've they have learned from all these lockdowns just how much we'll tolerate for a fear factor that you know scare us to death and okay everybody will fall for this and they're using it now we've got the great reset and this is the the umbrella of it all and it's all about using the fear of climate change to put it all all into place and uh, you know everything we've been fighting and private property free enterprise and your freedom of choice the three pillars of freedom are the targets of of all of this do away with it all they know best top-down control and they're going to dictate to us how we're going to live what we're going to have they even say in this great reset that the uh, you know we're going to have a, a world where nobody owns anything and we'll all be much happier actually says that in it so oh jeez I, I some of the stuff that they, they're, they're pulling on us you know and then um uh we circle back that's the thing and, you know we'll, we'll circle back in other words <laughs> i'm not answering your question i'll just i'll just use a little dodge and duck here and go on to the next subject and then we'll i'll claim i'll circle back but i'll never get right back around someone did that to me the other day and i went wait a minute have you gone to the dark side <laughs> and they had to go, <laughs> Oh, geez. Yeah. But I love, they I don't want to have it. Re- you know. no, but the, reduce the CO2. Oh, brilliant. We're just climbing out of a, a mini ice age. I mean, we're still colder than when Christ walked the earth, and they weren't having any problems with the climate. They reduce the CO, CO2, and then you reduce the number of plants that require the CO2 to grow. So you reduce the number of plants, then you increase hunger. And uh, how are you going to go be a sustainable government if you're increasing the amount of people that go hungry when you're claiming that no one's supposed to go hungry? You know, the redundancy, the idiocy is just. Uh, the, the, the fact uh, of the matter God. is there, there has my been God. no warming whatsoever in the last 20 years. And. When you have what scientists have, real scientists have shown, I mean, like scientist Willie Soon, uh, who wrote an article saying, it's the sun, stupid. (laughs) It's, uh, you know, when there are uh, storms on the sun, we get solar flares and so forth, it causes warming. And when the sun gets dormant and kind of dies down a little bit and calms down, then it gets cooler. And we are going through a cooling system right now. I mean, we've just had the coolest spring I can remember. And here we are into the middle of May, and it's 60 degrees out, and and that's a warm day for what we've had the last few days. And, you know, it's – but it's – we always have climate change, but – you know, this this is not man-made. It is not something that's being created by by our lifestyle, and but they have sold that fear. Here here's my ex- explanation for this, and that I use a lot of times when I speak. Throughout history, since since there have been human settlements, there has always been a force that wanted to control the world, and usually what they would put do is put together an army, and they would come in, and they would. Uh, invade and kill people and break things and and subjugate people. These guys have come up with a plan that will get people to voluntarily help them subjugate them and be happy about it out of fear. And what they came up with 
to, to the powerful vo- message they came up with to get people to do that is the threat of environmental Armageddon. They've said to me, it doesn't matter how many rights you think you have if you don't have a planet to stand on. There's the fear factor that is literally running the world today, and you're not allowed to say anything to the side of that because then you're in nutcase. But that is what they're using, and people are, out of fear, helping put all this into place and uh, subjugate themselves voluntarily. Yeah, I was looking at some of the stuff that was on this reset that you had sent me, and uh, they want to control the life on the land as well as under the water. Um, Let's see. Uh, Decent work and economic growth. Uh, Good luck with that one, guys. You're really doing good with Biden in the office. He's saying he's creating jobs. Where? Um, peace, justice, and strong institutions. I mean, it's, it sounds so flowery, so wonderful. But at any moment in time, anywhere upon this globe, there is a war going on. It is the nature of man. It is just human nature. You know, any, you can't, there's not a single patch of this earth that hasn't been taken away from someone else through war through invasion. You know, it's just, so what do they think? You're going to change the nature of man? But uh, uh, that's the whole thing. key, Tom. You change the nature of man by re-engineering social mores. The uh, change in the nature of man is taking away his ability to have his own uh, ideas, his own hopes, his own goals and dreams for his life, uh, personal choice, and, you know, the, this, this whole thing on and locking away all the land, particularly our rural areas, our farms and ranches and so forth, and uh, changing our food system and all of that, uh, to supposedly to protect the environment. The rules and regulations to to all of that, plus what they're doing to small businesses and so forth, are being made by people who have never been a farmer and have never owned a business. They are government bureaucrats who know nothing about these things. And the environmentalists, I often joke, if they come out of their high-rises in New York and actually touch the ground, they might know something about the environment, but they don't. <laughs> and uh, so they are literally destroying our economy, destroying our food supply. The people who own these ranches and own farms and have done them for centuries have you know, families have run some of the same land for for decades and so forth they they know so much more they have to know how to protect their own land otherwise they'd be out of business if they were if they were destroying it they wouldn't be there anymore and yet these guys come along with these one-size-fits-all regulations and and what we've got happening to the american beef industry is absolutely astounding You've got the World Wildlife Fund, one of the main NGOs in the world, who have said that one of the things we have to do to save the planet is stop beef consumption. They now control the American beef industry with a global uh, roundtable for sustainable beef. And the National Council, uh, National Association of, uh, of, what's their name, Beef Growers, the Cattlemen's Association, is embracing this and helping them do it. Talk about self, you know, you know, killing yourself. Suicide. Uh, suicide. Self-suicide, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, there it is. They're doing it. You know, and, uh, it, so, you know. it it's amazing because what they also do is prey on the naive, the people that are not in tune with yeah. what is actually going on. 
who's, God bless my mom, she's 89, she's now living with me, uh, and every once in a while she go, do you know anything about this organization? Because when they get up there, they, they feel like they have to give money away. So they make these donations to all these organizations. And matter of fact, you said the World Wildlife Foundation, one of their things came in the mail. And oh, I saw that and I went on a rant. And she goes, okay. So now what she's done, she, she wised up because she doesn't use a computer. She goes, well, check this out and tell me because she realized that there are websites that you can check to see how much actually goes to the cause and what the cause is, what the truth is behind it. So, you know, she now has that done. She'll ask me my, my opinion, like the Independence Fund. I said, that's a good one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> things like that. But, but they, they, they prey on those who are not as in tune with what is going on. Someone like you, they don't want. But someone like my mom will hand over as much money as they're willing to, to steal out of their pocket. You know, once yeah. you open that wallet, they keep on coming and coming and coming. And that's how they stay alive. Through fear well, they, and then through intention. Sure. They run these commercials on television with this, you know, voiceover that is just this close to tears about the tragedy that's taking place. The World Wildlife Fund runs these ads about the vanishing polar bear, uh, uh, you know, populations and so forth. It's an absolute lie. There are approximately, I, I may be wrong, but there's 10 to 15 polar bear populations in the world and all but two or three of them are growing by leaps and bounds. And they, but they, they continue to run this lie, uh, the World Wildlife Fund. And uh, they pull at people's heartstrings. People are good people. They are, they are charitable people. And they want to help other people. And these people are preying on that. And they are, they are just shaking their jeans and taking all their money and, and, and to a lie. And, uh, and, and the fear factor that, that is in there. This is how they're operating. It's how they always operated. And uh, it's now moved all the way up into our federal government. And uh, the lies are just getting bigger and bigger as, uh, as they go along. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the NGOs because you said you should start you know, politics local. That's something that we have been doing here. We were able to turn over the school board. We were able to oust a school three school superintendents and finally get someone in here that is at, at least as, as politically lined up with conservatives as possible. Matter of fact, he turned around and said, this mask mandate is off. So now for our school kids, it's voluntary. If the parent says, okay, and parent says, well, mask or no mask, then we'll just follow the wishes of the parent not the child, of the parent, and a parent gets to be a parent. You know, this is what we have to do. Um, we, we have had sales taxes that we have knocked down. And as a matter of fact, I've got a new one now that we have to fight. Uh, so, yeah, you have to pay attention to it locally because once it's accepted locally, then when they go to the polls, that is how they're going to vote statewide and nationally. And that's how they're changing us. One of, the, one of the problems with our side is, first of all, we don't like government. You know, we want a limited, as limited government as we can possibly have so we can live our lives, run our businesses, do what we do uh, as best we can. We need government, but, uh, you know, we don't need everything decided by government that knows nothing about how to run these things anyway. And so our side doesn't like government. And 
we've done two two things have happened because of that. One is we completely ignore the local level, but we get excited about running somebody for president, and that, that one icon is going to speak for us, and then that'll be that'll take care of it. It happened under Ronald Reagan. I watched it happen that we worked so hard to get him elected, but as soon as he did get elected and he started putting policies in place that were working and moving forward. People say, oh, I don't have to do anything anymore. Oh, good, I'll just go home and raise my kids and, and work my job. That's what we want to do. We don't want to be bothered by all this. Second thing that happened with Donald Trump, and oh, good, we got him in there, and now everything's taken, you know, taken care of. Now, when those guys are gone, we have no platform. We have to start over again. And we've ignored the local level. We don't want to go to city council meetings or county commission meetings. We could care less about appointed boards and so forth. But the left has done it completely. They know every single small, no matter how little the position is, whether it's appointed or elected, it has influence. And now we're sitting here wondering, why can't we get anything done in our community? You know, if we had cared about who was on the board of elections, then we might have some control over what happens with elections. But instead, we didn't pay any attention to that. When was the last time we talked to a fellow conservative who cared about who the city attorney was or the state attorney or the federal, you know? And the, uh, these are the guys who are enforcing the lockdowns. We don't have a voice in that. And we wonder, what happened? How's come all this dictation is taking place and everything? Because we let them have it. So what? this is my whole program, working on the local level. Uh, the, the term I've come up with is turn your community into a freedom pod. Don't worry about what happens in the next community or the next. Look at your community. Begin to focus on those three pillars of freedom, free enterprise, private property, individual choice. And make that your, your focus. And you begin to put, you know, we're talking about how to build a team, how to organize, how to research. First of all, you've got to know who your enemy is. You've got to do the research to find out what the programs are in your community. Who are the players? How are they operating? That's, you have to know that before you can do anything. You can't go down to City Hall by yourself and just, you know, they give you those three minutes to speak to them on high and uh, have any impact on it. You've got to know what you're talking about. And because of like your example of your, your councilman there, so, well, everybody's doing this. This is how we do it. That's what they'll do. They'll just dismiss you that way. You've got to know the details. And, uh, so, uh, and then begin to run people for office. You've got to organize in the precinct level. You've got to uh, you know, control what's going on. You've got to be involved. You can begin to turn this around. I'll tell you quickly uh, a real quick story on this. I won't go into all the detail on it. But just to show you what I'm saying is, is working. Um, I, we just did a webinar. It's the webinar number eight, if you want to look at it on our website. Uh, it is with a, a gentleman who put together a movement in uh, Louisiana. It's called the uh, Cato Alliance for Freedom. Uh, I worked with these people a couple of years ago to stop the implementation of a, a national heritage area, and they, we succeeded at that. And I told them, they're going to come back at you with something else. They did. And uh, these guys began to organize. First of all, there was only like five of them. And they went to their city council, uh, one of their city councilmen, and, and 
uh, talk to them about these policies you're putting in place are uh, are bad. We don't like these. And and he basically patted them on the head and said, ah, you're nice little boys, but uh, everybody's doing this. You can't stop this. This is just the way it is all over the country. And he said right then that's what energized him to make sure they were the precedent that was going to change that. And they began to organize, and step by step, they used social media and all kind of things. They began to show people uh, around the, the Caddo Lake there area, the rural, rural area there, how these policies were making them all victims. They did it very effectively how they did it. They grew to 4,000 people, and now those same city councilmen are patting them on the head saying, what can we do to help you? <laughs> you know, they're respecting them. And the most important thing he told me was that now that they're successful in what they've done there, other uh, communities across the state are calling him saying, how do we do this? What do we do? That's what I mean by a freedom pod. You do it in your community and you're successful, it'll grow to the next and to the next, and they are doing it. And it's, it's, uh, it's the most exciting thing I've seen, and I use them as an example constantly because they're doing it right. But it can be done. We cannot be afraid to come together and stand up to these guys. They are terrified that you're going to learn this. And uh, they know that they're lying to you. They know that they're putting putting one over on everybody. I liken it many times to what they've done to us over this last year is like when you have a cat and you have one of those little laser lights making them chase it. And that's what they're doing to us. And they're, you know, they say, oh, look, they bought this one too. Okay, we can get to this part, this part. They've got an agenda. They will not back off on it. The only way we can stop that agenda is to stand up and stop it. And, uh, and they're terrified. We'll learn that. But we're starting to show people are standing up and we are winning when people do it. Well, one of the things that we've been doing here locally, you know, I I have my local Tea Party meetings every month, but I am also a member of the executive board for the county GOP. And I tell my people, make sure you join because the only way you're going to change the policies of the local GOP is if you are involved and you show up at the meetings and you voice your concern. And I, I when I was asked, why are you signing up? And I says, I want to take back the Republican Party. I want it to stand on the platform that is written. And she got her back went up in the air. And she used to be my state representative. Uh, and But she saw that, yeah, there was truth to the fact. That they were starting to go too far into the middle of the road. We had to pull them back. But we also banded up with other local groups that were like-minded. So if we have a resolution that we want to send to county council or to state or federal government, we pass it around ourselves as each group will turn around and will do their own endorsement. So when that resolution goes to that office, they're going to say, oh, wait a minute. You've got the men's organization, you've got the women's organization, uh, you've got the local GOP, you've got the local Tea Party, you've got the local MAGA group. All these groups signed on to this resolution. That's a lot of voters. Mm-hmm. That is perfect to do it that way. And, in fact, I talk about that. That I had suggested to me that, you know, say, say, for example, you put one group together in your community and – now you've got three or four people who are going up and, and, and coordinated to speak before your city council. Well, if you're all representing the same group, then they say, yeah, yeah, these guys. But what if 
each person got up there and they had like their neighborhood association is who they were representing. And now you've got five organizations. So what you just described is perfect to uh, you know how it's done. And the and the reaction is exactly the reaction you'll get when you have more more groups like that. That is absolutely correct. Well, you know, the county council tried to shut me up one day. <laughs> of course, I'm half <laughs> Italian. That don't work. The only way you're going to shut me up is you handcuff my hands behind my back so I can't wave them in the air. But when I was talking against the mask mandate, um, they said, well, we have so many people. So unless you have something new to give the county council, then we ask you to st- let someone else go and speak. So as I got to stand up, they said, well, do you have something new? I did. You know, everyone was talking about uh, the children or it, it, a bunch of other different things. But I, I came up and I kids. said, <laughs> but I came up and said, hey, listen, I changed the policy at the hospital. Overnight, they changed their policy at the hospital because of me. And this is why. And I gave them the HIPAA Act. I gave them the American with Disabilities Act. I gave them facts and law, which they were not getting. And when I left, I, I had people standing up and cropping me. <laughs> I'm going to brag. I, but when you do go before these meetings, listen to what everyone else says. And if they're saying the same thing that you are saying, find a different way to approach it so that you are giving them new information and a new side to the argument. And, and, and one of the things that we have to do, there are so, because of these NGOs that I've been describing and how all that's operating, and, and, and if you go down and, and, and you have some people uh, who go regularly to all these meetings and just observe what's happening, you will begin to find who the players are, who these, you know, there'll be NGO people there that they're referring to all the time. They'll look up and say, what do you think about that, Joe? You know, that kind of thing. And you will find there's usually one, at least one member of the city council that is spearheading all of this. I don't know whether he's oh, yeah. stuffing his pockets or he's building his political career, whatever yeah. it is, That's but they the are, they're the ones. <laughs> yeah. But what we have to do and when we're fighting back is begin to make them personally responsible for their actions because they put these policies in place. And even if something is really damaging you personally and you do sue the city and win, it's no skin off their nose because they're not paying the legal fees, they're not paying the, uh, uh, any fines or anything like that. We have to make it personal, and uh, there are ways to do that, and we're working on this. But um, one of the things, I, I had a, a situation, I, I was talking to some, some people up in Colorado, and they were telling me that one of the city council women on their, on their city council had pushed through uh, some regulations. That this was a community that was living off the, uh, basically the oil industry. That was their main source of income in the city. And... Uh, she had put these regulations on. The oil industry was starting to move out because they couldn't live under that. And they showed me this chart of uh, income levels that uh, were, were going down because of this. And I said, put her picture on it. It's her chart. You know, she's responsible for it. We've got to start making them personally responsible for what they do. One of the ways you can do that is you can build a grading system. Put together a list of uh, regulations or bills or whatever have you that, that they've put in place and how they voted on it. Rake, rate those bills on how they uh, affect free enterprise, private property, whatever the case may be, and uh, then give them a grade. 
that is one of the most effective things you can do. You start putting it all over town, and, you know, that John Smith over here is a 30, you know, or a 20 or something, or a total zero uh, when it comes to freedom, and they won't like that at all. You'll get their attention. And, uh, you know, these are just some of the things you can do, creating relationships with them. Let them know that you're there. Don't let them push you around. Uh, you know, these are all the kind of things that we're, we're trying to teach people to, uh, to do. Well, there's, there's two things I've noticed recently. Number one, if you have something like a council or a school board, most of the time the way a member votes is not put down on paper. They'll give a voice vote, but you, you barely remember who said yes or no. But if it's on paper, it's a record for people to see. Secondly, have them publicly broadcast the meeting live whether it's through Zoom or onto the, the website, the school board's website or the county council website or city council, whatever. Have it broadcast live and be able to communicate with them when it comes to the public speak. You know, whether you send in an email to each and every member, which is what I, I, lo- I love doing that, because then I know who is responding and who is brushing me off. The person that responds will always, most, I would say 99% of the time, will support your side. Once in a while, you will get someone given the other side, but at least now you know where they stand. Mm-hmm. But you know, yeah. uh, action causes reaction, and the only way you're going to get them to react to your will and your wish is by communicating and do it often and do it loudly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and one of the things I've told people, you know, whenever I go anywhere and I talk about uh, dealing with the news media, for example, everybody in the audience rolls their eyes. Go, Our news media is so left wing; it's so out of you know out of touch with us. They don't want anything to do with us. But there's a couple of things that that we can do, and um, one thing is that. Some of these reporters, one of the reasons they won't pay any attention to you is because, first of all, they never heard your side. And second of all, if they say anything against those elected officials, they, um, they will lose their access to them. And then that hurts them as trying to cover you know, their beat there. Uh, but if you begin to create a relationship with them and say, you know, the council passed this the other day or so-and-so said this the other day, and here are some other facts you haven't seen or, or here's a result of that, whatever the case may be, you might be able to start to build a relationship with them. And, you know, victory is when they start turning to you and saying, what do you think about what they did yesterday? You know, now you've got their ear. The other thing that uh, we're, we're seeing start to happen. We've had here in, in Virginia, where I am, uh, in a very rural area, a gentleman started his own newspaper. And it's now 40-some pages. And he puts it out uh, in, in stores and, and so forth around the, the, the county. It is now in three counties. People are grabbing it up every time it comes out. And uh, he has no shortage of people to write. He uses people like myself and so forth, you know, to write across the nation and gets the information out. And people are hungry to hear that kind of message, and it's having an impact. So, you know, there are things we can do to turn this around. If we just sit there and accept the status quo, they're going to be the status quo, and we're going to disappear. <laughs> well, it's all the more reason for freedom of speech. All the more reason. Another thing I saw uh, that the county council was trying to do was stifling the Freedom of Information Act. 
when someone would apply for a FOIA to find out what is going on within government, they would use every trick in the book to prevent you access to that information. Uh, it involves a p- employee profile. Uh, you can't have you can't have the privacy. You know, it's got to be protected or some other excuse. And fortunately, we do have a newspaper here that does pursue that. And when they do mess around with the Freedom of Information Act, that usually is splashed across the front page. So transparency is one of the things that we must have in government. And they're, 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 what they count on is you finally throwing your hands up in the air and giving up. They hope to wear you down so you walk away. And instead, we've got to find people who are willing to dig their heels in and pursue it to the very end. Yeah. I had a, uh, a person tell me one day that they had 200 people show up at a city council meeting about something that was going on there they were upset about, and they argued and argued on it and everything, and uh, they, they said nothing happened. They didn't change anything. They ignored us. And I, my question was, well, what did you do the next day? And they said, well, nothing, because they didn't do, you know, they didn't care what we had to say. And I said, they were sitting there looking at their watches saying, okay, they're gone. Now let's move forward, because they knew that's what you were going to do. We have to show up over and over again. I have so many elected officials tell me that our side is never there. And so what are they to do? when all the pressure they're getting is from the other side and they're relentless about it and, and pushing and pushing and pushing. And, uh, and, and the other thing is when we have somebody from our side who does stand up, I mean a, an elected official who stands with us, they will attack with everything they've got. Are we supporting them? You know, you can't just ins- insist that they go out there and take these stands and get destroyed and not have any help. But we, you know, we are not there. That is why they're winning, and this is what we have to change. Amen, amen. Now you talked about the, you talk about on your website the Great Reset, and oh my goodness, I mean everything from energy to food to government, the economy, education. What aren't they? You know, resetting your habits and thinking. Uh, what aren't they going after? And it it clicked something in my mind. I caught this commercial for something, I think it's on Netflix, about a society that is cloning human beings to be workers to mind the machinery so they could be free as a special class. In other words, these, these human beings there aren't going to have free will or free thought. They're going to they're clone it out of them. And you're wondering, is this where we are starting to go in reality. If you look at the vaccine, they use a nanobot to distribute the the vaccine inside your body. What is that little thing doing once it's put the vaccine inside the cells? What else is it doing? It makes you wonder, have they already started to re-engineer the human being? When you start to talk about things like that, and people look at you like you got two heads and you're absolutely nuts, and but... The thing is, if you begin to look at everything they're doing, it all fits that way. The Great Reset, reset energy, we're going to stop the use of oil and convert everything to wind and solar, which doesn't work. We'll end up with no electricity at all. Reset the food. I've already talked about what they're doing to the beef industry. They're doing it to to chicken and poultry and everything else. The whole big push now is to have fake everything, uh, you know, made from plants uh, because that's sustainable. 
Well, now we've got a meat shortage. Oh, isn't that a real wonder that at this point in time? No, no, it's a pandemic. No, yeah. uh, this is engineered. Yeah, but you listen, every single thing is this is sustainable. Well, here's the interesting part to it all. Uh, I've, I've just acquired a lot of this information in recent times, but within a year, 77% of institutional investors uh, Wall Street and so forth intend to stop buying into companies that are in some way, uh, if they aren't sustainable, uh, taking the money uh, managers, taking them away from anything that is not. And if it's not done by sustainable, then uh, you know it's not going to be financed. And this becomes the root of the whole thing. And it's really interesting how the co- the, the uh, companies are starting to turn to this. The other day, I saw on the packaging of one of the two top manufacturers of toilet paper, it says on the cover now, three trees are planted for every tree used to make this product. They're doing that to show we're sustainable. The auto industry will will be start to... Uh, produce nothing but electric cars to show they're sustainable. You know, and, and of course, the oil industry, you, you now hear them talking about being energy companies, uh, which means they can go to, uh, you know, wind and solar and, and not the other. These are all movements to become sustainable. But what they're going to start to do is look at you personally and your way of living. Uh, you know, it, almost everybody has one of those little discount cards to go into the grocery uh, to get a discount on your groceries, but it also registers everything you buy. They will start to look at that and say, oh, you bought beef, but you didn't buy enough vegetables. Uh, you don't have a sustainable lifestyle. They'll begin to judge you this way. Eventually, just like communist China, these are plans in this Great Reset, is that uh, your um, – your personal living habits like that will begin to affect your credit report. You won't be able to get a mortgage loan. You won't be able to get a car loan, so on and so forth. You'll be locked out of society because you have not complied. Sustainable, sustainable, sustainable. Every time you hear that word, understand it is evil. It is the enemy. It is not protecting the environment. It is controlling you, and that's what it's designed to do. You know, it's funny. It isn't it amazing at when this is all starting to happen. Suddenly, not a lot of stores carry cash anymore. You don't see people reaching into the pocket paying for anything with cash. It's always on the card, which they then can track. You know, you see a list of where you shopped, when you shopped, what you bought. All they do is just run the information off of your card. But now you can have a chip implanted in your skin. That, you know, it'll act just like your card. Gee, it also tracks you. Are you aware, folks, that your GPS is activated on your phone so they know everywhere that you go? Every once in a while, Google slips up and they say, would you like a history of your Google Maps? Because your phone is tracking. They they are doing this, and they're doing it now. I mean, it is Atlas Shrugged. Absolutely. With the punch of a button? All of your assets disappear because it's all – they don't really exist. They're all there in that computer, and you have a bureaucrat going, I don't know. I don't know what happened. You know, <laughs> it's done, 
and uh, there's no way out. This is where they're headed with this. Now, what you said earlier about, you know, people uh, not having any free will, not being able to move, and you think, oh, that's that's just all, you know, crazy conspiracy theory. And now everything we've just said are things they're actually doing. You've got Morgan Stanley, you've got Bank of America that are pushing these things, these new investment uh, policies, that everything must be sustainable. You've got the beef industry, everything must be sustainable. It's dying on and on and on. It's all real. It's there. I'm dealing with it every day. And I've been spreading this word for 30 years that this was coming, but I'm the nut. And I, I said to, to somebody one day, I said, I, you know, who was calling me this, I said, all I have ever done is quote you guys. I'm not clever enough to make this stuff up, and I'm the nut. Hmm. You know? <laughs> so. Well, look what they've done to the firearm industry. I mean, yeah. PayPal will not allow you to buy ammunition or a firearm using a PayPal card. Uh, that backfired on them, so now they're allowing you to. But still, a lot of them cannot get a way to process credit cards because a lot of these companies were saying, oh, you sell firearms. Those, we, we, we need gun control. That's the, the sustainable mm-hmm. thing to do. So you can't defend yourself against me. Uh, this has already been happening And you're right. Bank of America is at the forefront. Morgan Stanley, my mom has uh, her investment over there. Um, They are doing that. It's there before us. What Bank of America, it it was in the headlines of what they did with with their customers, with people who had accounts with them. They – with this January 6th thing that happened in D.C., they let – you know, uh, they gave to the police – people who were charging in D.C. to and, and so they could look at them and say, oh, were they part of this or not? You know. Yeah. yeah, that wasn't the only bank. There were several other banks, too, that participated in that and gladly allowed the federal government to go into their records without the customer's approval or a warrant. Yeah, Not exactly. even a warrant. There was no cause. What was the cause? Was that person arrested? Are you trying to attract the movements of the person that you have arrested, that you have suspicion of having committed the crime, in fact? No. You're trying to find people to arrest. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's amazing. And now you have these public cameras. Well, you're out in the public, so you shouldn't be afraid of having yourself photographed. Well, a friend of mine lives on Staten Island, and he said, well, at first we saw the traffic cameras, you know, every few couple of streets down, maybe the next section over. He's saying it's on every single block. Now, what happens if you're walking around in your house with the curtains or the shades open? That camera now publicly can see into your private home where you should be secure in your person and papers. They are actually spying on you. While you're at home, it is happening today. The the line that they will use on this, you'll hear it all the time, is if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. What the translation of that statement is, is the government always gets it right. And that's what we're dealing with. Exactly. And if you even look at what was written in the original Obamacare before it was married in the Senate and the House and passed, and yes, Nancy Pelosi, I read it, both of them. Um, (laughs) It was at one point that uh, someone, a government clerk, someone, was not exactly sure who this person is, 
had the ability to enter your home to see what food you had stocked in your refrigerator and cupboards. And if you had children in that home and you, they did not approve the food that you bought for those kids and they did not approve of the way you were raising them, they could remove the children from your home. It was in Obamacare where they will yep. monitor what you buy and how you raise your children. And if that government doesn't approve it, they will remove that child. Just because they don't well, approve. And yes. Wasn't wasn't there a thing where if you went to your doctors, doctors were supposed to be able to ask you if you were a gun owner and how many guns you had in your home oh, and all that? And it was a big backlash. They would ask the children yeah. to rat out the parents. How nice. How nice. Yeah. You know, it's it's been and thank God there's activists like you that is fighting this and making the nation know, no, we're not conspiracy theorists. It is, in fact, happening, and they're openly showing us how they're doing it. And we're too blind, stupid, naive to see that it's happening? Well, the one thing that I want to convey, because everything we're talking about here scares people to death, rightfully so, and, and it's all coming out as like a freight train, but I want people to understand we can stop this. We can beat them because everything they're doing is built on lies. We've got history that shows the policies they're trying to put in place, the systems and so forth, don't work, are disastrous. We've got all of that, and we've got 75 million angry people in this country who are looking for solutions. And as I said in the beginning, I'm, I'm trying to make sure that we come up with solutions that could keep them involved and keep moving forward. But I want to make sure people are not allowing themselves to fall into the fear and hopelessness that uh, they want you to have, that we stand up, we stand strong, and we say no. And I see that happening now like I've never done. That's 30 years I've been talking about this stuff and warning people about it, and I've been called everything under the sun. And, uh, you know, the Southern Poverty Law Center has done four different reports on me. <laughs> All this kind of stuff. <laughs> I take it as a badge of honor, frankly. Uh, but, um, you know, the, uh, I, I am now seeing more and more people stand up and say, what do I do? What can I do? They're anxious. That's what's driving me. I have never felt more positive that we have an opportunity to stop this like we've never had before. And uh, so that's what drives me. Well, you know, it's funny because recently we had the local GP, GLP do their precinct reorganization. And for the longest number of years, we had a hard time getting someone to stand up and represent the voting precincts. We had a record number this year, actually just last month. And people are finally, like you said, they're, they're saying, this is this is not going the way it should be. This is not our republic. We need to do something about that. And then at my last Tea Party meeting, I was amazed because I would have 10, 12, maybe 15 people. My last meeting, the whole place was packed and people were signing up onto our email list to know about the next meeting. And I'm hoping that trend continues because you have an outlet for people to help fight. And I'm learning a lot from you, but I've been doing this now for 12 years. Uh-huh. So, you know, we're giving them an opportunity to have their voices heard. And people, if you're out there listening, 
find out what you got locally. See if there is some sort of a, a rock the red or something like that. There's got to be something out there. You know, go trolling through the social uh, media because you key in a couple of key phrases. I'm sure an organization near you will pop up. Or contact your local GOP and says, I want to make the GOP conservative again, the way it was formed. And take our nation back. Yep. Ain't All we have to do is show up. Fight. Yeah. Show up. But, uh, yeah, and we're, as I said in the beginning, we're working on a, uh, a listing of as many organizations as we can. And uh, so and I definitely want to, to make sure I get yours down. I'll, I'll communicate you by email, uh, communicate with you by email to uh, make sure I've got it right, and we'll get you on there. And, uh, you know, I, I think that can help the groups grow if they will let us uh, post them there. And I, I'm very wary of putting an individual's name or contact information on there uh, who, who wants to, you know, help people get in, involved uh, because I think it's dangerous. But if we have an organization, yeah. then it's much safer. And so that's that's what I'm looking at. Yeah. And then they can go on to a website anonymously or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they track our IP addresses. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All the way. Now wait until they, they force out the uh, real ID. Now, unfortunately, my state has said, he passed the law, that um, you can opt out of the real ID, knowing that uh, you won't be having access to court buildings, federal buildings. Fine. That doesn't bother me. I have a passport. Passport (laughs) circumvents that rule. So as long as I have a passport with me, I don't need the real ID. So folks, find out, you know, what the story is with your state, and then push for those laws. Contact your state representative and state senator and says, do we have this? If not, can we get it passed? And you know what? A lot of times, if you've got a good representative and state senator like I do, they listen and they take your recommendations. We had um, uh, the, uh, oh, what you would call it, uh, where they're trying to bypass the uh, electoral college, uh, the popular vote legislation try to pass and i was on that like a fly on crap (laughs) and we stopped it but every time it comes up they are now aware of it and stop it um you have to know what's coming up and be ready for it but tom you do excellent work out there and i want to thank you for joining us we've got to talk off off the air and get ourselves coordinated and maybe see if we can get you to take a little ride down here absolutely anything absolutely the real stuff yeah. Not 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 the, the blue state south, the real south. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm starting to get back on the road state. again. It's it's uh, this last year. I I mean, in 2019, I did 100 talks in 35 states. Last year, I did two talks in one state, and <laughs> this year, I'm, I'm starting to book again. So I was in Ohio. Uh, Two weeks ago, and I'm uh, I'm heading to Utah in June, and other things are starting to pick up. So we're we're starting to get out there again. All right, I'm going to talk to our, our GOP chair to see if I can get you down here for that, and maybe okay. see if we can get more organizations. He may know of others within the county that I'm unaware of to get onto your list. Good. Yeah, we need all, all right. we can. And people yeah. people can find you where AmericanPolicy.org. Uh, and you'll find tools there. You mentioned our handbook and so forth. And uh, we've got our webinars that we're doing. Uh, they're recorded. You can find them there. All kinds of things, plus lots and lots and lots of articles on all this stuff. Well, God bless you for the hard work you do. We'll be talking, Tom. Take all care. right. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
All right. Check out Tom Deweese, AmericanPolicy.org. Want to welcome back onto the show. She's our darling, A.J. Swinson, and she is the Chief of Staff for New Journey Pack. Good afternoon and welcome back, A.J. How are you today? Hi. How sweet. I'm so glad to be back. How are you? I I am nuttier than a fruitcake, so don't worry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I, I was taking a look at the website. Man, it's changed since the last time. So many more people ha- are on board with this New Journey Pack. Tell us about it, and how, do, how was it formed? So New Journey Pack was formed about two years ago now, Um by James Golden or Bo Snerdly, formerly of Rush Limbaugh's show, uh, show, God Rest His Soul. Um, and, you know, James grew up, you know, he grew up in inner city New York, but he grew up near, actually, a GOP office. And the Republican Party had a presence there, but as he got older, the office moved away, and he started himself to see the Republican Party kind of move away from outreach to black voters. And so, you know, he got tired of complaining about it over the years and finally decided, you know what, I'm going to do something about it. And so he worked with the CEO, Audrey Pruitt, and the journey was born. Man, it has been doing some fantastic work. Matter of fact, our state and local GOP uh, have been finally woke up over the last couple of election cycles to do an outreach, and they were able to really bring in a lot of minority voters. Now, the funny thing is, is that, gee, what was the largest group? I think it's now over 57%, something like 57.4% that voted for Trump. What group was that? Was that, oh, was that women and minorities? So, I mean, people were really shocked. They had some some liberal outlets who said, why did, so, why did more black people vote for Trump the second time? They just were completely, you know, like shocked by that. How is it possible that more black people could have voted for Trump the second time than the first time? And I, I think that that's something that we should be grateful for Despite everything going on in the media at the time, we were able to increase that outreach. And we censured our work in Florida because that's where we're based. But in the next primary, in the next four years, we're hoping to expand that into other states uh, far more vastly. Yeah, because I see that you're working on local leadership, uh, which is a great thing. Um, That's what we need locally people to be inserted uh, because if you actually look at the average family of minorities you know they believe in hard work they believe in god they believe in family they believe in republican principles we just need to show them that we are on the same page but i i don't understand why the republicans for so long have been hesitant to reach out to those communities yeah and i mean there's been a lot of stutter-stepping of, uh, okay, we're going to do some and then we're not. Um, I know black uh, people who worked with the RNC throughout various different campaigns, throughout Mitt Romney's campaign, um, throughout John McCain's campaign, and what they described to me was a lack of commitment and even sometimes layoffs before the election even happened. 
Um, so, you know, it's it's not something that the Republican Party has focused on. When we call ourselves the party of Lincoln, you know, Lincoln made slavery a national issue. He helped the American people to understand that in order for us to preserve our union, we, our union, we had to be preserving our principles. And he had the moral charge to define the issue and to lead the nation forward on it. And I think that, you know, despite – I get that we're upset, and, I, and I, I get frustrated with the Republican Party for their lack of motivation on this issue, but I think it's an overall lack of vision. You know, we need to return to the party of Lincoln, and that's the ability to have moral vision and vision for the future that includes all Americans and lives up to our principles as a country. And that is so true because uh, I have a friend of mine. He's a Baptist minister. Uh, the guy is just funny. Mm-hmm. I love him. And his wife is adorable. Uh, and he's tried several times to run against James Clyburn here. And for mm-hmm. some reason, the Republican Party, countywide and statewide in the past, just never gave him the proper support. He could have taken that seat away from a Democrat and put a Republican in there. And he came to our Tea Party convention in Myrtle Beach one year, and he came up and spoke. And I I think I understand the mindset of some of these Republicans, uh, because this woman came walking up to him, and she said, Leon Wynn, I didn't know you were black. I almost hit the floor. His wife, uh, she she couldn't help laughing, because they could not believe, this one woman, whatever her mindset was, just could not believe that a person of color, a minority, or a female could be a Republican. Just why mm-hmm. is that mindset that Republicans are old white men? That's it. It's They're not. They're the everyday you and I. Well, keep in mind that this was true for a long time. You know, even when I talk to, when I go to events, I'll talk to white conservatives too, and they'll say, oh, I'm not a Republican. I'm a conservative. And if you look historically about whether or not Americans call themselves Democrats and Americans call themselves Republicans, it's almost always been more Americans have been willing to call themselves Democrats than Republicans. So it is an issue that the Republican Party has to deal with. It's a visual, um, it's a branding issue um, that, that needs to be reckoned with not just for blacks, but among poorer or working class whites as well, and and other minorities as well. Well, you also have the image of, I call her Queen Camilla Mella. Uh, she says, I am a minority. I am a woman. I am the average, you know, minority. Uh, this is This is our policies. But that's nothing like you. I mean, you're the opposite ends of the spectrum, and she has the potential of very soon becoming president. This is scary. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think the greatest issue with Kamala is her lack of foundation and principles. When she ran for office, when she ran for president in 2020, the, even Democrats said that they liked her, they supported her, but who is she really? Why is she running? Her intentions, her core beliefs are so hidden. She's a politician to the core, and it's very difficult to nail her down on what her convictions are. You know, if you think of Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, these 
leftist, progressive uh, candidates, you at least knew what they stood for. You knew what they believed in. They had a track record of believing in these things and standing up for these things. She, on the other hand, throughout her entire career, has done whatever politically expedient. And it's hard for people to trust that. It is. It is very, very hard. But there's the potential very soon, because if anyone's been watching Joe Biden, holy cow, I've never seen a president go down in health so fast. And we're here, we're what, four months out into his presidency? And already, you know, you have the uh, Australian commentator publicly say it is elder abuse to have him there as president. It's it's a scary situation. But here you are trying to bring people in and trying to expand our voter base. And yet we're finding attacks coming on um, our society through the school system. And this is something else that you are very vocal about uh, with the Black Lives Matter now being involved in school curriculum and critical race theory being pushed on schools. And that's a very dangerous thing. I agree. I think that the issue here, and this is what conservatives can do about this, as this country becomes more diverse, there has been a call for more diverse education for a long time. I mean, you can go back probably 20 years and read about how people were saying, we want to see more stories included. We want to see more of uh, different historical perspectives. That's something that people have asked for for a long time. As conservatives, we want to talk about diversity because that's what our country, our country was created to embrace it and to embrace it as long as you um, support American ideals. And so what we as conservatives need to do is we need to answer the call for more diverse education by including the stories of minorities, people who have embraced American values and succeeded in this country. Because what the left is going to do, they're going to say, oh, you guys want diverse education. We're going to create the curriculum that you think is what you want, but we're going to put our own twist on it. And we're going to talk about equity, which is basically knocking people who are doing well down a little bit and giving what they've got to other people in the hope that it will lift them up. Uh, We want to talk about uh, our leftist ideas. We're going to push that on to kids. And we're going to push it off as, oh, we're the the ones that are trying to do black history. No, You're, you're doing your own spin. You're pushing your own ideology and you're using minorities and their history to get that into schools so that you can indoctrinate kids uh, that aren't even ready to really decipher the truth from fiction yet. And you're going to do it under a guise so that parents think, oh, this is a positive thing. We should want this. Um, because they don't understand all the subliminal messages that uh, are being implanted into children. So no, you got- that's the biggest issue with this. Well, you also have the 1619 Project, but you're taking young Mm -hmm. minds that are malleable. I can't even say the word. Mm -hmm. They are are ripe for indoctrination. And here you have a child who's looking up as an adult, and and an adult 
of someone who is responsible, who who is a guidance, and that whatever comes out of their mouth has to be the absolute truth because we trust them. We're children. We need you to show us the pathway to adulthood, to learning. So I, if you're teaching me this, this stuff, then it must be true. And once you do that to a child, as they develop into an adult, they will either be completely bamboozled and live the rest of their life that way, or somewhere along the way they may rebel and say, you told me lies all this time. But at that point, they are so stuck within the system and the society has been changed so badly, there's no going back. And what is so great about this nation, it is the only nation in the world that was not founded on ethnicity. You know, it is not a group of ethnic people banding together that have like likenesses together. So, you know, you go to Italy, the person is Italian, and you can tell by their DNA. They guess they were, they've lived this, in this area all generations. That's Italian. The United States is the only place that doesn't do that. There is no uh, DNA that says this person is an American. It is our band of ideas, our foundation of ideas and belief in freedom, in self-responsibility. But that's being torn down by the BLM, by the 169 critical race theory. They're tearing that apart. I agree. The 1619 Project is, and, and I'll give it to them, you know, the writers are interesting writers. Um, the uh, prose is, you know, intriguing. Uh, but here's my issue. I don't know if you saw Randy Weingarten, who's the head of our school system. She was on Martha McCallum's show um, on Fox News, and she would not say whether or not 1619, the idea that our country actually started when the first slave ship um, came and brought slaves here, and that the foundation of our entire country basically was centered around slavery. She would not say whether or not she believed that was the central point of the 1619 project, and she would not say whether or not the curriculum that would be taught to students would negate that because it's untrue. She kept referring to, we need diverse education, we need diverse education, but she would not answer to whether or not diverse education should be teaching kids the truth. And that's the issue with this. History is supposed to be, this is what happened, let's learn from the past so that we don't make the mistake in the future. If you are teaching false history because it fits your narrative, then you are also setting up children to replicate the past. They'll replicate it in a different way, but they'll still replicate it. They're not able to learn the lessons that they're supposed to learn from this country's founding if you're twisting the history to fit your own narrative. And you also have to keep in mind that if you can do that, then why can't someone else? So it's, it's a sad thing when we start arguing over our founding. I mean, our founding. 1776 is the accurate time because, one, we weren't even a country yet. They're saying that our country was founded in 1619 when we were still being colonized. (laughs) Uh, You know, so it's just, it's a ridiculous premise. We were a colony. We were not a nation yet. Um, We were still British subjects. 
And why don't they talk about that? You know, there's always this oppressed narrative. Well, why don't you talk about how the U.S. is being oppressed by Britain? But no, uh, you know, they're not interested in that because they're not interested in the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And that's a major failure that will, that, I mean, every parent who has a child in public school should be monitoring this, should be talking to their school council. Uh, New Journey has started a project uh, partnering with the Florida Citizens Alliance uh, called Safe Florida Schools. And so we're going to be working to prevent that stuff from being taught to kids and making sure that kids, can they spell? Can they multiply? Can they divide? Let's focus on reading, writing, and arithmetic. When you've got kids failing and you want to teach them false history too, so you just want them to be totally unequipped to be productive adults. That's what this is saying. Well, you know, here here's the cause for school choice. Uh, unfortunately, the left has realized that, hey, listen, if the parents take control of the child's education, take it away from the public school, put it into private or charter schools or religious schools, we don't have that much control. So what we are finding, and I found this locally because a parent approached me, that they're finding ways to go into these private schools and now also you know, get them to accept um, gender fluidity or the 1619 project. So the parents are coming to me, do you know of any school we can send our kid to that doesn't teach this? And I mentioned one that I knew for a fact would never do that, and they said it's too expensive. So here again comes the call for school choice. Let the money follow the child, not the child following the money. Right, and and that's such an awesome thing. And you know what's great about that, too, is that that's something that appeals to people that conservatives can use to to gain votes in diverse areas. Our founder and our CEO, Audrey Pruitt, worked with Ron DeSantis' campaign when he was running for governor of Florida to turn out black women to vote for Ron DeSantis. And in a tight race, you remember how tight that race was? It was with yes. percentage points, single digits. And they were able to bring out an estimated 150,000 people, uh, black women, to vote for a Republican president. And that was because Ron DeSantis was going to unapologetically bolster and support education choice and educational opportunity. So... You know, when we talk about, a lot of people will think, oh, in order to earn black votes, you have to engage in identity politics, you have to give up your principles. No, no one is asking you to do that. You need to understand, people who say that don't truly understand conservative principles. Conservative principles, when, right, when justly applied and evenly applied, appeal to everyone. That's why we can say, yes, black people have conservative values because we see that. But when they're not equally applied, when they're not communicated, when you're pandering to this group over this group, instead of focusing on conservative principles, that's when you lose minority votes. Uh, And that's what New Journey is trying to fight back against. Man, you guys are doing a fantastic job. Go ahead, Curtis. From... From my experiences, um, when it comes to the Republican Party, they don't seem to, and I'm talking about our leadership, 
they don't seem to be all that interested in what we might call outreach to the minority community because, um, for one thing, a lot of our leaders are from um, the business, have business um, backgrounds. And so they're they're in the party because um, this party is, is good for business, you know, lower taxes and things like that, and, you know, mm-hmm. pro-growth. So they're not concerned about the core principles of the party. Either that or they don't know the history of this party. But um, I, I'm from Florida, and um, I'm proud to have DeSantis as our governor. And I think mm-hmm. he relates more to um, the, the minority community because of his um, Latin you know, background. And mm-hmm. I see the only way we're going to to overcome this this difference in um, political philosophies that, that, you know, the Democrats have a grip on in the minority community is to shed a light on the history of the Republican Party. We have a good brand. We shouldn't be running away from our brand, Republican brand. This is the party that abolished slavery. This is the party that, that fought for the rights of blacks and other minorities. We shouldn't run away from that. But we should also tell the, the history of the Democrat Party, because a lot of blacks that I know believe that it was the Republicans who were the slave owners, and it was the Democrats who were their um, their liberators. And and some of them still think Lincoln was a Democrat. And I, <laughs> I, I find that when you when you enlighten people, they some of those people who are critical thinkers, they have an epiphany, you know, at that moment, like you know. You're telling me I've been lied to all these years. Others who bought in, you know, bought into it, drank the Kool-Aid, and they don't want to admit that they were wrong. You're not going to get anywhere with them. But I go out and speak to to people, um, and my message is geared towards those who are critical thinkers. And I I know them because um, they ask questions. The others will argue with you. So we have to do a better job of getting those that are leadership position to understand how important it is to, to go out and try to, um, you know, let the people in the minority community know who we are. I mean, we just had black history month and not once did I hear a Republican leader talk about our proud, um, heritage, our history as Republicans, not one. And I think that's, uh, that's all I got to (laughs) say. Go ahead, well, I, 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 I agree with you to a point. I, I do agree that um, when we talk about the party of Lincoln, you know, we, we look at the great things that Republicans did. Even when we look at the what we would see today is probably radical, the way that re- Reconstruction was set up, that the South had to affirm African-Americans' right to vote and right as citizens in order to rejoin the union. I mean, that that was radical, but they were determined to right the wrong of slavery, and that was incredible. Um, the unfortunate thing that I would say about that is, is that I believe that Republicans lacked resolve in continuing that. Okay, so you abolished slavery, what now? Are there there's still issues? You still have black businesses being burned. You still have black citizens being denied the right to vote in the South 
from, I, I believe, the 1850s all the way until, even up until points in the 1960s when we see the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act being passed. That's a long time that a huge section of black Americans weren't able to vote. What did the Republican Party do about that? They postured, but they were not willing to enforce it because they were afraid of the South. There was a lot of acquiescence there. There was a lot of capitulation. Um, There were multiple times that if we look back through history that we see the Republican Party instead saying, okay, let's start going after this Southern vote. Let's back away from supporting uh, you know, equal rights for African Americans. If you look at Republican presidents at the end of Reconstruction, which unfortunately ended because Republicans made a, um, they agreed to let some aspects of voting rights, you know, oh, okay, the South, you know, we'll take the troops away if you pass two other laws for us. So they capitulated and actually agreed with the Democrats to end Reconstruction and to end the requirements um, in some ways that made sure that blacks were able to safely vote and register to vote. So if you look between that time and the time that Hoover ran for office, or even if we say, let's go back earlier, if we say between that time and Teddy Roosevelt, the biggest thing that happened in all that time when there was Republican dominance, Republicans were winning Uh, for presidential office time after time, except for I think two Democratic presidents got in there in like 60 years. And there was no movement forward because Republicans were afraid of pushing the South. And I think the biggest advance that you see during that time or a posturing of that is Teddy Roosevelt inviting Booker T. Washington to the White House. That's pretty much all that happened. Well, AJ, it has been... Sorry, go ahead. It has been a blast having you on. Always welcome you back. Uh, people can find you. The website is, again, where they can find you. Yes, they can uh, go to newjourneypac.org and learn more about New Journey Pack. Thank you for having me. Well, God bless you for the hard right. work. As a matter of fact, on board is my former Senator Jim DeMint and our friend, Curtis, uh, George Farrell, is on board with them. So you've got good people working with you. Oh, that's yes, who thank you so much. Them. We're glad. Yeah. Karen All right, Watson. Take... Oh, yeah, Karen Watson's on there, too. Yes. AJ, yeah, thank you, and have Karen. a great weekend. We'll be talking again. Thank you so All much. All right. All right, AJ Swinson, check out New Journey Pack. Got one of my favorite heritage people coming back on the year. I love this guy. Welcome back, Hans von Spakowski. I just like saying your name. (laughs) So welcome back, Hans. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. Oh, man. I mean, I I don't even know where to start with you. Do we start with the Equality Act? Do we start with HR1, SR1? Uh, I don't even know. I mean, I, I was making notes. Uh, about all the stuff to talk to you about. And I'm like, holy cow, it is just a ripe field. And every day something new is hurled at us. It's, it's nonstop. No, it is nonstop. Um, you know, probably the thing that's most threatening at the moment is, is H.R. 1, because uh, as folks know, that's the, that's the bill that um, would lead to complete federal takeover of the administration of elections, uh, something I think you were just talking about. And um, it 
this past week, Annie, it was it went through the markup in the Senate. What that means is is the committee to which it was assigned, which in this case was the Rules Committee, basically went through, marked it up, uh, considered amendments, every single amendment that a Republican member of the committee proposed to try to get rid of some of the worst parts of the bill failed, uh, Democrats voting against it. Um, and then they had a vote on uh, on the bill. What's interesting is um, the committee actually failed to report the bill out of the committee because it was, again, it was a tie vote. So that means to get it to the floor of the Senate, uh, Chuck Schumer is going to have to file a what's called a discharge petition to get it out of the committee. It only takes 51 votes to do that, but uh, the Republicans held firm and, and voted against it, which, which like I said, led to a tie vote. Hmm. So it's stuck for now. It's stuck for the moment, but um, you know, he, he clearly probably has the 51 votes he needs to, get his discharge petition voted on. So at some point, and we don't know when, uh, it is going to get to the floor probably of the Senate. And uh, we, we don't know when because I think Schumer is, is right now probably regrouping and trying to figure out uh, how is he going to get it through? Uh, does he need to end the filibuster to do it? And that's probably the kind of strategic or tact- and tactics meeting that the Democrats are having right now. And that tie vote would be Queen Camilla Mello to get it passed. Exactly right. Right? You love the name I yep. give her, right? Queen Camilla Mello? Soon to be <laughs> well, president. I, have to admit, I haven't heard I haven't heard that one, but that's pretty good. <laughs> but you know, it, this is such a dangerous bill because it takes away from the individual states their ability to control their elections locally. And it puts everything in the federal government hands. But this, there's nothing to fear about this. This is the federal government. You know, they, they never do anything wrong, right? Yeah, we're the government and we're here to help. Was that Ronald <laughs> Reagan's famous line? <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it gives you everything from ballot harvesting to registering of illegal aliens um, to prohibiting your ability to sue the federal government if, because they passed this act. They even make it impossible for it to go to the Supreme Court to be challenged. Well, no, it can't go to the Supreme Court. It's just that if you're going to sue, it ha- it can only be in one federal court, um, and that's the federal court in the District of Columbia, which makes it much more difficult to challenge this. Absolutely. You know, um, and it does also weaken the Supreme Court's 2010 decision in the case of citizens versus federal elections uh, because the state's uh, court misinterpreted uh, the Constitution to empower moneyed interests at the expense of American people in elections. Um, It's so many. Matter of fact, I, I get the Epic Times and back in March, they did a great breakdown uh, on this one. Uh, they just break it down to exactly everything that is in there, allowing felons to vote, mandating early votes, um, mail-in voting without photo ID, ballot harvesting. Holy, how do you go after something like this and prevent it from being passed? I don't think, I don't know if it's possible. Well, so far it's it's all been on a party line vote. You know, it it passed the House. 
with only one defection, and it was a Democrat who voted against the bill, uh, Representative Benny Thompson of Mississippi, who actually said he liked the bill, but his constituents didn't like certain parts of it. Um, So then it got to the U.S. Senate. And look, as long as the filibuster rule remains in place, Republicans should be able to stop the bill. But, But remember, Chuck Schumer and Democrats are talking about trying to end the filibuster. And if that happens, then the U.S. Senate turns into the U.S. House. And remember, in the U.S. House, the majority can do absolutely anything they want because there's no equivalent of the filibuster rule. And that would change the Senate from the way it has conducted its affairs for over 200 years. Um, And I'm hoping that at least one or two Democrats realize that is that would be a big mistake because, you know, at some point in the future, they may, may be back in the minority again. Now, as as I've been reading through this, it actually says in the bill that if I, as an individual, discuss politics with someone, I'm violating the bill. Even doing this radio broadcast talking about politics, I would be violating the bill. I would be in violation of federal law. Well, you potentially would be considered to be engaging in campaign-related activities. And that's one of the biggest problems of the law. I mean, we've been talking about election administration provisions, but the, 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 one of the biggest problems with the law is that it expands the definition of what is a campaign-related activity. The reason that's important is that then brings you under the uh, jurisdiction of the Federal Election Commission and all of the rules there on uh, federal campaigns. And, look, right now the rule is that if you, for example, if you run an ad, if you run an ad um, that asks people to support or or oppose a particular candidate, well, obviously that's that's a campaign ad. But the definition is expanded to cover, for example, any kind of ad that discusses the name that mentions the name of a federal official. So people understand what that means. It means that if if uh, if a membership organization like it like the NRA. Um, gets concerned because there's a bill in Congress to restrict the Second Amendment rights of folks, and they start running ads saying, hey, please call uh, Senator Smith in your state and tell him, please vote against that bill. Look, that's got nothing to do with with campaigning an election. It's got everything to do with uh, an important issue before the Senate or the House, but that would now be a campaign-related activity. All the rules and onerous um, disclosure requirements would start applying, and it would just wreak uh, havoc for grassroots organizations that are concerned just with issues, not with elections. So then if I have a candidate come on and I'm talking to them about their campaign and where they stand on the issues, I would then fall them to meet the Federal Election Commission. You potent, yeah, you potentially would. Um, I mean, another problem is that, look, there is a media exemption in the law for folks who are members of the media. But the problem is that in the past, Democratic members of the commission have not wanted to recognize uh, as media uh, anyone except the mainstream media that they like, uh, folks like CBS and MSNBC. And so this could cause problems for folks like you and others 
if they do something else they want to get done with this, which is to change the composition of the Federal Election Commission, which is the, is the organization that enforces all these laws. They want to change it from six commissioners to five. And what that means is they could then get engaged in partisan enforcement. Because right now there are three Republicans, three Democrats on that commission. It takes four votes to engage in an enforcement action, which means both parties have to agree. Somebody's violated the law. They change it to a five-member commission. And, for example, a Democratic president appoints three Democrats to those three positions. They can always outvote the Republican commissioners, and they can engage in partisan enforcement. Now, there's so many things wrong in this bill. Not only that, it bypasses the Constitution. Constitution dictates that you cannot discriminate against, you know, someone from voting uh, by gender or race. But it also marks the age. You have to be 18 years of of age. It knocks that out. It just it, forget about the Constitution. Um, what did Biden say? It was it was. What did he call the the Bill of Rights? That it wasn't solid. Yeah, I, I don't recall that. I do know that he was saying that all these election reform efforts are uh, are Jim Crow 2.0, which of course is a complete and total lie. <laughs> yeah, Jim Crow stifled the vote. This is allowing anyone and everyone and their uncle uh, to vote with absolutely. <laughs> No rules that you would protect the vote. It, it, forget about yeah, voter that's, ID. That's right. All right, and then there was yeah, saying, that would, that would get so, thrown. Yeah, that would get thrown out the window by this uh, by this law. Yeah, but they're saying, oh no, illegal aliens when they go to get a driver's license, they're not automatically registered. But that's not true. We know for a fact that several individuals and one voted twice. Uh, Illegal aliens have been registered to vote. And in fact, one person was registered to vote and he wasn't even aware of it until someone contacted him about his vote. So, you know, it's not true. No, that's right. Uh, we, we do have a problem with uh, aliens registering and voting all over the country. And the left wants to make sure that nothing is done about it and, and that no uh, measures are put in place try to deter and prevent that from happening, which is another big problem with this bill, and frankly, their attitude in general towards the election reform efforts that states are making. Now, this, I don't understand how they're doing this. It's going to prohibit state election officials from campaigning in federal elections, and some um, secretaries of state do get involved in the elections. Uh, So it prevents I'm trying to understand how this would prohibit a free vote. Well, I mean, they're they're saying that um, secretaries of state or usually the chief election official of each state uh, won't be able or enti- able to do anything with regard to a federal election. I don't think they can even endorse a candidate. Um, I think there are potential First Amendment and other problems uh, with that, and that again is is just another. Uh, problematical uh, part of this bill. All right. Uh, Sarge in the chat room said that what Biden said, uh, no amendment is absolute. Uh, so in other words, uh, it is a malleable document instead of being the foundation of this nation. <laughs> so the Bill of Rights 
is not absolute. So at, at his whim, any one of our rights may be taken away. Forget about free speech, free religion, you know, the right to bear arms, or any other right in the Bill of Rights. Just forget about it. It's, it's not absolute. But this is how the Democratic Party is thinking. This is how the progressives are thinking when they put together a bill like this. Yeah, unfortunately, very true. And uh, this this is their dream. This is their dream bill. Um, they are pushing really hard to get it through. It's obviously their number one priority, which is why it's HR1 and S1. Uh, and it's probably, I would have to say, um, one of the most dangerous bills uh, I've ever seen in Congress in my time in, in, in Washington. Now, recently, you appeared before the Alaska Senate uh, State Affairs Committee, and you were saying that individual states can do something to help secure the elections and secure honest votes. Uh, what are some of the things that you were telling them? Well, it's it's everything from, uh, of course, and obviously, you need a voter ID law. I mean, you need people to show an ID when they vote in person and when they vote by absentee ballot. Um, states need to do a better job of cleaning up their voter registration rolls. There's all kinds of steps they could be taking that, that they're not to make sure that people who are dead don't stay on the rolls, to make sure that people who have moved out of state don't stay on the rolls so they can't vote twice, you know, in their old state and their new state. Um, there, there's just so, there's so many steps uh, that they can take to, to fix this. And unfortunately, too many of them aren't doing that. Uh, I mean, another great example of that is um, when it comes to absentee ballots, uh, one, you should ban vote harvesting, something that you mentioned. About half the states allow it, which means they're allowing third-party strangers, people who may have a stake in the outcome of the election, like candidates and campaign staffers, to, to go to people's homes to pick up their absentee ballots. I mean, that's a terrible idea because, one, they may alter or change the ballot they pick up, but second, it puts them in a position to threaten and coerce voters uh, in their homes, and there's no election official there supervising it to, to try to prevent that from, from happening. So banning vote harvesting is important. I mean, another thing that I think is very important, and this, this has never come up before last year's election, and that is uh, banning private funding from going to election official. You know, in last year's election, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, and another donor put up $450 million, which was then given an, as grants to election officials all over the country, almost exclusively, however, to uh, large urban centers that were uh, liberal and Democratic Party strongholds. And the idea there very clearly for them was to move the get-out-the-vote effort of uh, liberals into uh, official government offices to have them for them, and it created unequal opportunities to vote for people living in those urban areas in comparison to folks in, in more rural areas of state. Well, isn't that technically like buying a vote? Isn't that against federal law? 
It's not. Uh, it's not against federal law, and unfortunately, in most states, it wasn't against state law. Um, but many states are fixing that. The election reform bill that was just signed into law in Florida um, by uh, the governor there uh, bans private funding. The election reform bill in Georgia that was signed into law by Governor Kemp also bans private funding, and other states are are working on similar bans. Now, if I remember correctly, because we were reporting on this back in 2016, uh, that in California, people were being paid for every vote they they harvested. And uh, wow. So now you have them going into homeless camps, you know, collecting votes. They have them going to nursing homes where people may be in a vegetated state and supposedly this person uh, votes. And it again happened in this last election cycle. We were having reports of it in Florida and California of going into these senior centers where, you know, this person may have dementia, not even aware that you're even in the room, but that person voted anyway. And even here in South Carolina, we are hearing of buses going to the senior citizens to get people out to vote. Uh, Of course, you know, the Democratic Party was, you know, the ones driving those buses. So how do you think those senior citizens were being told? You got this young person there, this muscular guy telling you, when you go in, this is the button you're going to push. That's intimidation. Yeah, illegal assistance, actually, that's called illegal assistance. It's a violation of of federal law when um, folks are being told how to vote. Um, it's a problem, and um, the, the the issue of seniors in particular being taken advantage of in uh, assisted living centers and elsewhere, that, that's a real problem. It's one that election officials could resolve um, and try to prevent by doing things like um, setting up systems where bipartisan teams of election officials went to senior living centers and other places like that to supervise voting to ensure that it's actually the senior citizen who's casting a ballot and it's someone who has not been declared legally incompetent and therefore uh, is having someone else basically steal their ballot and vote for them. And and that also can prevent coercion and pressure on uh, the most vulnerable. And that's, that's something that states need to really fix, because that is a recurring problem all over the country. Well, that is also the problem you have then with the mail-in ballot, because the ballot comes to a person's home, and you've got a senior citizen, or you have someone frail, and you have another relative or someone else living in the house or a neighbor, turn around and make that person vote the way they want them to. So another problem is with these mail-in ballots. How do you protect that person from being intimidated and protect their vote? Yeah, no, that that is that is a real problem, um, and it's one that unfortunately too often occurs with through the use of absentee ballots. And what they're trying to do with this law is making one size fit all. Well, the way we vote here in South Carolina is not the same way you vote up in New York. Uh, so this one, the idea that you can have one law for all fifty states and have it held. Is, is almost impossible. Well, it is, and it's it's not a good idea because we are a very big country. Conditions are very different in different parts of 
the country. You know, there, there's there's quite a space between the highly dense high density of New York City and the wide open spaces of Wyoming, and and putting in the same rules, especially when they are bad rules, and that's the whole problem here is these are some of the worst rules you could possibly have for the administration of elections, uh, putting those in all over the country. Like I said, it's, it's reckless, and it will cause – I mean, people think the American public lost faith and confidence in our election system after the last election. If H.R. 1 is uh, passed by, uh, by the U.S. Congress and signed into law by Biden, and the fairness and security of future elections will be precipitous. And then you throw in the popular vote that is making its rounds around the nation, and then forget it. You will never see a Republican ever hold office again. Yeah, I, I'm concerned about that, too. The, the, what I'm, my concern is about this effort to get rid of the Electoral College. And the reason for that is that um, I mean, regardless of political party, um, the Electoral College protects the more rural, less populated parts of the country. And if we get rid of it, then uh, presidential elections in the United States will be decided by the big, urban, highly populated centers, and they'll be able to simply ignore the rest of the country, which is one of the reasons the Electoral College should, should remain in place, because it balances popular sovereignty with uh, the other interests of being such a geographically diverse country. Well, we recently had the census, which brings around a portion. Uh, now it's changed the fabric, the Congress, um, but it's not a true of what the American voters are because they allowed the illegal alien population to be accounted. So that really shifted the power in certain states where it should have changed even more for, like, say, for example, California. Yeah, because the Census Bureau just recently released uh, its preliminary data on apportionment. And it looks like six states are going to gain a seat each. Um, Texas actually is going to gain two, while seven states are losing seats. Among those losing seats are California and New York. But, uh, in fact, they really ought to be losing more seats. And the reason for that is that um, New York and California, as you know, have are two of the two two states with some of the largest numbers of uh, illegal aliens in the country. And because those aliens are included in the population used to apportion the U.S. House, um, those aliens are propping up the uh, congressional representation of those states. If 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 apportionment was based on the citizen population of the U.S. California wouldn't just lose one seat. They might lose as many as four seats. New York wouldn't be losing one seat. It probably would be losing two. And that they get more uh, members of Congress in the U.S. House than other states is, frankly, unfair, and it defrauds American citizens. Well, Hans, it is always a pleasure to have you on the show. And you know you're going to be coming back, so... Yes, yeah, happy to do it anytime. But you also have at heritage.org, people can click on there, and you've actually got cases. It's not all the cases, but 
proven cases of voter fraud. And That's people right. can actually see where this is occurring and what is occurring because you do the research. And as you come across them, you add them onto the site. Um, God bless you for the hard work you do at Heritage and all the others that work with you there. Well, thanks. That's actually, I, I appreciate that. I'll pass that on to the team of people who keep that uh, election fraud database up to date. Thank you, Hunt. You have a great weekend. We'll be speaking again soon, I hope. Sure thing. Bye-bye. Take care. Hans von Spakovsky over at Heritage.org. Um, that's about all we got here, Curtis. We're down to our last three minutes. Wow. The show went really, really yeah. fast today. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, but we had a lot of fun, a lot of fun, and learned a lot of things. Um, we will be back here next week. We have screenwriter T.L. Davis. Uh, he'll be joining us, and he's got some inside scoop about what is going on in Hollywood. Boy, some of the things he was telling me makes your hair curl. Uh, we also have Michael Johns uh, with Tea Party Nation. Um, they've been putting out some great articles that they post up on the Internet uh, to keep people aware of what is going on and what's the latest bit in the news on both sides. Um, so we're putting together a great show for next week also. So I hope everyone joins us again next week. And I want to thank everyone that were participating over on Facebook and YouTube and here in the chat room on Blog Talk Radio. A lot of great stuff, uh, a lot of great things posted out there from our listeners. We've got the best listening audience out there, don't we, Curtis? Most certainly. Most certainly. All right. Well, we're going to close the show off. And I'm looking. Oh, here we go. We're going to close the show off with our song from our, my friend Gary Piccarella, Save America. And that's what we've got to be looking for, to save America. So until then, I say good night and God bless.
America.